your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. I think it was imperative for one of those guys, Bader O'Neill, to get off to a good start. Kind of take the heat off of, like, Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. I, you know, it's just, it subsided a little bit, you know, to have at least one of those guys get off to a good start. And he is off to a good start. couple of home runs, double. I think that's been important. Good morning. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. That was Danny Mack a couple of weeks ago when we had actual baseball to talk about here on the station. Discussing how important it was that Tyler O'Neill was off to a big start. And Jamie, I want to start off with this. We're not talking about Dylan Carlson to kick things off. We'll get to KK whoa, as the fifth starter here in a moment. Okay. I want to talk about your boy, the Canadian man himself. All right. The Herculean left fielder. The guy with the single most pressure on the entire Cardinals roster for the next week or two. It is Tyler O'Neill. Because right now, with Paul DeYoung out, there is a gaping hole in the middle of the Cardinals lineup. They have nobody other than Tyler O'Neill that can fill that role. And so, Jamie, it's huge that Tyler O'Neill got off to a big start because he was able to assert himself as the clear starting left fielder for the time being. And now they are going to be counting on him so much more than they ever could have expected. They thought they were trying him out in left field. Well, that tryout just became a showcase as (laughs) your center of the lineup hitter. That guy has more pressure on him right now than any other player in the Cardinals lineup every day. Yeah, look, he does have a big job that lies ahead of him, certainly in the next couple weeks as the Cardinals get healthy and figure things out. But Look, I I personally think that he's approached his at-bats with a lot more, you know, he's calm. I I don't see him up there. Like when I watch him last year, you look at his stance and he's got, you know, he's a muscular guy, but it looks like he's gripping the bat, like he's trying to crush the bat and he's just, you know, jacked up. 
This year, you know what? He looks is that a Dr. Little, body language that I see a making A little bit of Dr. Body language, yeah. Um, you know, when you watch him with the bat this year, the forearms aren't just like bulging out because he's gripping the bat so hard. He looks a little more relaxed, almost like he's shaking it out a little bit before. And so far, he's had, you know, more success. So far, he's that guy that, well, he's doing so well that we're talking about him being plopped in at number four in the batting order. And if that's the case, and if he has some success, then... By golly, we've got a guy. We've got a guy. You know, and there'll be a trickle-down effect for that for sure because Lane Thomas, who I'm sure wanted to get as many reps, if not more, than Tyler O'Neill, now he's going to be fighting for it with somebody else somewhere in the outfield, probably Harrison Bader because if Bader doesn't improve his batting at all, then Lane Thomas just shows that he can make contact every once in a while. I think that that's going to be his direct competition. But for the time being... I'm really happy with Tyler O'Neill. He's representing the Maple Leaf, you know? <laughs> He's got a whole country on his back. <laughs> what do you think, Alex? Maple syrup, right? Yeah, maple, maple syrup. syrup. To me, there's a power rankings right now, and we talked about this yesterday. Rivs loves those power rankings. Do I ever. You you have four outfielders that you're trying to figure out who they are before you even talk about Dylan Carlson. To me, number two on that power ranking is Tyler O'Neill. Number one, still Harrison Bader, and I I would hope we're hitting the point if you're the Cardinals that says, okay, we figured it out, time to go to Lane Thomas. But number two is Tyler O'Neill because he's a power hitter. Yes, he hits home runs. You saw that in Memphis. This guy was hitting home run every other day. Can he do it at the big league level? Is this a guy who can be a four or five hole hitter? Or is this another Randall Grichik? And no shot at Randall Grichik because he's a power hitter for yeah, the Toronto. deserved. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Randall Grichik right now it? is just sitting somewhere, and he got an extreme pain, a sharp pain well, in his back. Let's look at the Toronto Blue I'll Jays. Give it to you. Let's look at the Toronto Blue Jays record, and he's at least helping them with that. But is he is he a Randall Grichik? Because you're either going to stick with this guy as your everyday left fielder, or you're going to move on after this season, and that is what the Cardinals need. So that's why this is the biggest shot for Tyler O'Neill that he's ever going to get. He's got to stay healthy, and he's got to he's got to represent in that lineup if he wants to to stay at this point. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the six one eight. I figured this was probably going to be happening at some point, Jamie. Uh-oh. I thought we might get a text like this, guys. Tyler O'Neill is three for fifteen with a two ninety four on base percentage. What in the world are you talking about? Well, look at his stats next to other people on that team. I came with stats. I've got some receipts. We got real, we got professionals here. Tyler O'Neill last year struck out 35% of the time that he came up to bat. 35% of the time. One of the highest rates in all of baseball. This year, do you guys know what that percentage is? What is that percentage? I bet you're going to tell us. 6%. Whoa. Six. Whoa. He has one strikeout so far this season. And it's even better than that. I looked up some of the advanced analytics you on Tyler O'Neill this morning you, as well. I most certainly you had did. nothing Jamie. to do last night. That is also correct. We've got a pandemic going on around us, boys. <laughs> so far this season, do you know how many hits Tyler O'Neill has against fastballs? I bet you're going to tell us. Well, he's only three for 15, right? So three I'll say them. three. <laughs> Zero. Oh, damn it. He has yet to hit a fastball. Meanwhile, he has a 429 batting average against breaking balls. You know what he hit last year against breaking balls? 176. These are good signs. He's hitting the pitches that he used to struggle against. He is not swinging and missing against those pitches. His whiff percentage against breaking balls so far this year is 25%. Last year, 57%. 
He has cut that in half. Jamie, yesterday you dove into the numbers on the Blues, and you were talking about how they basically are half as fast as they need to be making plays, right? Yeah. Well, it's the opposite for Tyler O'Neill. He is twice as quick at making decisions and pitch recognition and being able to attack the pitches that used to hurt him. So a guy like Harrison Bader that we talk about with the off speed and the breaking balls that just kill him, it's been the opposite so far this season for Tyler O'Neill. Small sample size alert, absolutely, no question about it. But so far this season, Tyler O'Neill has corrected the wrong, which makes his strengths even stronger, and his weaknesses have come up to the next level. This is a type of player that you can build around. And if this is sustainable, and that remains a question, mm-hmm. he's your cleanup hitter for the time being. He's going to be in the top half or so of the order moving forward. This is the guy that moving forward, at least for now, with Paul DeYoung out of the lineup, he is going to become critical for what the Cardinals are trying to accomplish to keep them afloat the way that the Marlins have thus far as they've come back from their scare with COVID-19. The Cardinals are going to need some guys to step up at the plate. The number one candidate to do so right now is Tyler O'Neill. Look, Tyler O'Neill still a sample size, right? And that's what gets thrown in our face right now in the text line. Guys, he's only been to bat 15 times. Let's not order the rings just yet, right? <laughs> okay, you're, you're correct in that. But this is where I go with it is the question marks before the season started in the outfield. The question marks, quite honestly, were Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. And then in third place, Harrison Bader, Dexter Fowler, everybody pretty much, ah, we know what Dexter Fowler is. We know we're going to get there, right? We all agree that maybe he shouldn't be, you know, getting the first reps, but yeah, you know what? He's the veteran. He's going to get him. So he's excluded from that power ranking as we like those, right, Alex? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then Tyler right. O'Neill in a, a dogfight with Lane Thomas and Harrison Bader. Guys, Tyler O'Neill for me, just based upon what I've seen, he's solidified himself. So I don't think, like, it's going to take a lot at this point for Tyler O'Neill to screw this up. And I think Lane Thomas and Harrison Bader now, they're in the dogfight for that center field position. And then your guy, although we're not talking about him right now, Dylan Carlson is the you future. You said it, not me. I said it. <laughs> but he's the future. Whether he's in left field or right field, he's your future. And he will be in your middle of the order as well at bat. So I think that I think that Tyler O'Neill's done a fantastic job of taking some of the doubt off of him. First off, BK, you show some respect to those first place Miami Marlins. Hey, they've been incredible. They have they, one loss on the like season. One, seven right? winning percentage. No, it's five and one, I think. Yeah. Did they win two more? Yeah. What the heck have I been? Yeah. Blacked out. No, it's well, a good question. But it's a good point. I mean, you're 100% spot on there, guys. Um, Tyler O'Neill is your left fielder if he can show up for Mike Schilt and the Cardinals. The battle right now is center field and Harrison Bader and Lane Thomas. Thomas is trying to be that next guy that says, okay, who are you? Because that's what they said in the offseason, right? Like we were told Lane Thomas would have helped this team if he was healthy. Okay, well, let's see it. Give him the shot. Carlson is that right field position. It's just right now you have Dexter Fowler. Money talks, guys. And with these other players, you got to figure out. I'm also curious of what the role is going to be of Justin Williams because I do think this is a player that the Cardinals want to say, who is this guy for well, our team? they brought up uh, Austin Dean the other day as yeah. a potential answer for I him. I saw well, that. We'll see. What's wrong with Austin Dean? Yeah. Why do you you hate Austin Dean like you hate Brad Miller? Austin Dean and I were on the same softball team one summer, and he's fantastic. We're going to talk about both of them coming up later today. 
today. I don't want to get into the negative side of things right now. Tyler O'Neill is right now your answer, and he's hugely important for the Cardinals. It is 11-12. Your time check's brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. There is one downside to the NHL's restart, and the Blues are one of the victims of that downside. We'll talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. are basically, uh, they're getting screwed on this deal anyway. I mean, when you look at how far they were ahead of everybody else other than Colorado, it should have been the Blues or the Colorado Avalanche that were going to end up no matter what happened. And they, 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 one of them should have uh, been one and some of them, well, the other one should have been two uh, because the other teams I don't think could have caught them. But I don't think it really matters where they finish and because I, I don't really, I mean, when I look at those eight teams, the Blues very capable of being all eight of them. It should be, you know, whatever happens, happens. That was Bernie Federko yesterday on character and Smallman agreeing with the stance that I have had well, which since one the came first, though? Yeah, I was, I was saying. Was the on. chicken or the egg, right? So well, did you say it first or did the Hall of Famer, Bernie right. Federko? Bernie, just be honest. I stole the take from Bernie Federko. That's okay. We Bernie did come him. on the air and say, you know, I, I agree with what BK said here on these airwaves. He <laughs> That's say not that. true. He doesn't even know who I am. I mean, it was <laughs> off air, but yeah, yeah, you're right. So Bernie Federko basically saying, hey, I'm not a huge fan of the way that they put together this round robin idea. And listen, I'm not either. And I think what happened that is showing my biggest fear from this round robin is what happened to the Bruins the other night. They are now guaranteed to be no better than the three seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, this is the same Bruins team that was eight points better than the next best team in the East for the first 70 games of the regular season. They were 10 points better than the Capitals, who were third, and 11 points better than the Flyers, who were fourth. Now, going into their final round robin game, the Bruins can do no better than third in the Eastern Conference in terms of seeding. Guys, the Blues could very well be in the same situation based on what happens tonight. If they lose to the Golden Knights, they will be fighting with the Stars on Sunday, a game that you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN, for whoever gets the right to be the third seed in the Western Conference, despite the fact that all season long, the Blues, at least in my opinion, and I think you guys agree, have earned the right to be one of the top two seeds in the Western Conference. I understand they had to do something. Jamie, that is one place that I absolutely agree with you. These teams had to play in some shape or form. I think the one place where they did miss the boat on this was they didn't make it into a percentage where these counted into their regular season points or winning percentage. I think that was the better way to go about this. And now you've got teams like the Blues and the Bruins that could be really hurt based on what happened over the course of three games and not what they did in 70. Yeah, I agree. I do. I do agree. I think that, uh, look, we talked about it even, I think, after the show or off the air yesterday, how it is what it is, and they did the best they could, and weird time, so weird format. However, I, I do believe that, you know, let's just never mind the blues so we don't sound like too much of a homer here, even though we have a good point to be that way. But the Bruins had 100 points. They had 100 points. Like, think about that for a second. They're by far, by far, the number one team in the NHL. And now they're going to finish, what, probably third. Yeah, in at this, best. At best in this round robin thing. <clears throat> so that doesn't seem fair to me. And then the Blues were in first place in their division, Western Conference, I believe, at the time. They're going to finish no better than third now, probably. Yep. So 
something's flawed here. And I go back to what we talked about yesterday, and I still ha- can't remember. I, I want to give credit to somebody for this idea, but they talked about I'll take a, it. Oh, okay. Alex Ferrario. Ferrario. Yeah, had an sure. incredible yeah. idea. Ferrari always has those. <laughs> he was blacked out one night, called me. Anyways. They work. He's, you know, the, the, the theory of a weighted round robin, meaning that if you're in first place going into the round robin, your wins would count for three points. If you're in second place, it would be two. Third place would be two. Fourth place, you get a win. It's worth one. That way there, it's harder for the, the, the shakeup to happen to where even if the fourth place team wins all three games, that could be, they mostly could do is move up one spot. And I think that that way there, it would have regulated itself a little bit better. But again, we're splitting hairs on this. And at this point, if I'm the St. Louis Blues, we're just focusing on continuing to pick up where we left in the Colorado game in the third period, have a solid period, which are going to be tested. They're going to be tested physically tonight. First team, I think, that's going to test them physically Mm -hmm. is the Vegas Golden Knights. And this is going to be good therapy for the St. Louis Blues. So they get the win tonight. Hopefully get the win against Dallas. I think they have great chance to do that. Finish third and go from there. I think if you were to ask the players, and again, this isn't the Homer perspective. This is just in the whole NHL perspective. If you were to ask the players like on the Boston Bruins team or the Blues, if they don't get that number one spot, I don't think it bothers them that much. Like, like it's upsetting. Yes, I think they will have a different tune if they end up not getting the number one seed. In theory, it's one thing. In practice, if that actually ends up being what it is, like the Bruins, their coach last night came out and said, "Yeah, but he's this, a whiner, yeah, anyway. Oh my all god! The time. You remember last year in the playoffs? He was the reason oh they lost god. the playoffs. No, but look, I wanted to give him a binky and rub his back. But look, Tampa Bay last year had a hundred, what, a hundred and eight points, one hundred ten points. They were the best team in the NHL. They had the match up against the worst team in the NHL and they got bounced in the first round so teams that make the Stanley Cup final or teams that are first or second place overall in the west or the east or the NHL they know there's no easy team to play once you make the playoffs yes it would be perfect to get that number one seed but let's look at the Blues case Chicago might knock off the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow. And right now, I don't know if the Blues want to take on a Chicago Blackhawks team. So if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And in the sense of these number one teams, the weighted system would work great. You know, having that overall spot in the first place would be awesome. But nobody knows what happens once you enter that playoff. Sure. I'm just saying Wait, like I, it, they, I, they, they, there was something that they could have done to make this a better format. But They'd I have done a point well. here. Yeah. Okay. I have a point. Where did the Blues finish last year? In their division. In their division, it was... What, third? Third, because they took on Winnipeg, yeah. and Winnipeg was second. Worked out pretty good. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree. All of that is fair. Also... Hey, Riffs. Mic drop. Mic drop. Thank you. <laughs> also, they could have done this better. Like, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 636. Hockey had one bad idea. Everything is going great. Going great. And A to the NHL still did the best out of all of the sports. Completely agree. They've done a fantastic job of setting all of this up to have success moving forward. Their bubble idea has worked to a T. This is exactly what they were hoping it would be. And the hockey has been excellent. The actual on-ice product has been really good so far. And so all of that, A's to all of that. I think there was one thing in terms of the formatting of this all that could have gone better. Now, I did want to get to what Alex said about Chicago. 
because there's something taking place in hockey right now that is really interesting to me. Montreal and Chicago are one win away from advancing to the first round with upsets over their five seeds, respectively. And Jamie Ferrario, we've been talking about a lot about this the last few days of the teams that have that one player that can really carry them right now. Right. Shouldn't the Penguins and the Oilers be those teams? Because right now they're one one game away from getting bounced. Yeah. And they have those players. So I think Penguins haven't had the, 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 like the Penguins been terrible. They've been awful. And McDavid has carried. He had another goal last night. That's eight points in three games. Yeah, but Edmonton is a perfect example of if you if you try and win a hockey game by one player, you're not going to win. And the reason why I bring this up is because I don't think it's any one formula that's going to work. We know that in general, you brought this up about last year with Tampa Bay, right? The playoffs can be a little bit random. And I think we're just being reminded of that right now. Like the Blues don't look great in their last couple of games that we've seen so far. That could change. I have fingers crossed. I hope it changes. But we're seeing across all of hockey right now. Weird stuff happens once you get into the playoffs. Oh, like yeah. You get a hot goalie. Suddenly you're Jordan Bennington and you're hoisting the cup for the first time in franchise history. Like it's just weird stuff going on around all of hockey right now. It's not it's not exclusive to the Blues by any stretch. No, I mean, look, it's a unique situation. We've never, to my knowledge, anyways, in, in my history of watching the NHL scene, this kind of a play in format. And mm-hmm. uh, you know what? It's exciting. And yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks, again, though, this is why a team with some veteran guys who know how to win and can pull their you know what together in a short period of time. They're dangerous. Now, ultimately, do they win the series? To be determined, but they're pushing right now. They're pushing Edmonton to the brink, and that's incredible, considering that they have a guy like McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and they've got a slew of young, talented players. That's impressive for that Blackhawks core group to do this right now. Now, the Blackhawks have a couple of young studs himself in the lineup, yeah. and, and those guys like Kubalik is playing amazing, and Kirby Doc is playing amazing. So uh, that's a great battle. Montreal, to your point, BK, they've got Carey Price. Yep, yep. They got Carey Price, and, and right now he's making the difference. And in a three out of five series, you get the hot goalie. Sidney Crosby's not playing fantastic. Malkin's being okay. The, all of a sudden, boom, it's over, and the Penguins are gone. Yeah. So, now, we heard so much about Carey oh, yeah. Price going into this. That's This is the guy that everybody was concerned about, right? When they started putting out the, hey, is it going to be eight teams, 10 teams, 12 teams? The name that you kept hearing was, well, if they go to 12, watch out. Well, everybody Price. assumed, though, that Montreal would like tank this thing because Alex Lafreniere, who's the first overall pick for sure, mm-hmm. he's a French Canadian, the Montreal Canadiens. Everybody thought, well, they're not going to tank for, you know, on purpose, wink, wink, but they're probably going to try and Im- increase their percentages of winning this lottery for this guy. Well, Claude Julien, the coach, said uh, what I'm focused on is not the lottery or Alex Lafreniere, even though he's a fantastic player. We're here to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yep. And that's what they're doing. You know what the difference between Montreal and Edmonton is? They have better defensemen. I mean, you have Shea Weber on defense for Montreal. Shea Weber's an elite defenseman still, and he's, what, 32 years old? You got Jeff Petrie, who scores the game-winning freaking goal as a defenseman. Like, you have a better defensive core. Edmonton has tried to win hockey games with first overall draft picks, whether it's, you know, Taylor Hall or Nugent Hopkins, so on and so forth. McDavid and Dreisaitl, if they're not doing anything, Edmonton's non-existent. Chicago can win with four different lines on you. Who's the team right now that, as you guys, and I know... 
nobody on this station watches more hockey than the two of you. So <laughs> you guys have been all in on these the, these playoffs. Who's the team right now that if you're the Blues, you would want to face in the first round? <laughs> yeah. And who's the team that you would not want to face in the first this round? This will be interesting to see if it's changed, though, since we've talked about yeah, this. Because BK mine has. was uh, out on assignment uh, on Monday, and yep. we went through a segment like this, and we had rankings with, with T-Bone in here, too. I wish we had the thing. But mine has changed. Mine, I don't know if yours mine has. Mine is not. Mine's changed. Mine has not changed. The so team... the one team that you would want to play the most and the team that you would fear the most based on what they've shown you so far? I said I'd love to play Vancouver uh, because they just, to me, they don't have the depth and their goaltender's still a wild card. He's had a good season, but you know, he's been around for a number of years and never really broke through. So is he Jordan Bennington? Let's hope not. But the flip side of that is he's going to possibly have a tough time. So Vancouver Canucks for me, we're, we're a team. And I also, I don't mind seeing the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't think their style of play matches up well for the St. Louis Blues. Um, and, and therefore, that's a good matchup. Now, the two teams that I didn't want to see, number two was the Nashville Predators. And they haven't shown me enough yet to really, I guess, back up what I said on Monday. But they still worry me. They still have a team that could turn it on. They could find their game. They find themselves down 2-1 to one right now. And they're a team that gives the Blues trouble. You know, the intensity of the series geographically, yep. the two it's turned into a good rivalry. And rivalries can go either way a lot of times. And the number one team for me, and I'm still going to stick by it right now, even though, even though they're hanging on by fingernails, is the Edmonton Oilers. And when I made my pick on Monday, it was right after Connor McDavid finished a hat trick and had seven points <laughs> in two games. I was like, this guy's problematic i do not want to deal with this jerk uh, i want if i'm the blues i want to play the winner of the winnipeg calgary series i think calgary has a mediocre goaltender in cam cam talbot and i'm saying this is freaking talking on a radio station but i don't think cam talbot can carry a team through seven games winnipeg's not strong enough defensively to beat the blues i think in the games team i don't want it was nashville it's arizona now i've watched arizona even that game that arizona lost they lost because they just had some mental breakdowns in their own zone offensively they are scary with all of the young players clayton keller from st louis defensively they have very mobile defensemen but Darcy Kemper can steal you hockey games, and he's done it in the last That's two games. Run him in the first game. Yeah, well, take him out. Oh, I guess we're Kip, not allowed to do that Kiprio anymore. Kiprio style, right? Not allowed to do that anymore. No, nope, nope. sorry. Yeah, so Arizona's that team for me that I, I don't want to see. Who is the team that Scott Burnside thinks that the Blues match up the best against? We'll ask Scott Burnside of The Athletic when he joins us coming up next. Scott Burnside on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. We are happy to be joined by the national hockey writer for The Athletic. He is Scott Burnside. You can follow him on Twitter at Overtime Scott B. Scott, we always appreciate the time, my man. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. I'm sort of gearing up for my daily routine, uh, which means perching in front of a television for, I don't know, 12 or 13 hours. It's a little bit off today. There's no 12 Eastern games. So I've got, I feel like I'm on a little bit of vacation as we wait for uh, the first game of the day to uh, start, which of course will be Vancouver, Minnesota. 
in about, well, I guess, about two hours from now. So I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up for it. So, Scott, you've been watching a ton of hockey over the last week, two weeks. God knows how long you'll be watching over the next few weeks to come. I'm curious because we were just talking about this a bit as well. Who do you think, if you're the Blues, who is the team that they match up the best against in the Western Conference that they could match up in the first round? And who is the worst possible matchup for the Blues, in your opinion, in the first round? Yeah, I, I mean, it's fascinating. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to be flip and say Anaheim or San Jose, but uh, no, of the uh, uh, of the uh, eight teams in the uh, play-in or qualifying round, um, and we're still in such a state of flux because none of the Western Conference teams have been eliminated yet, of course. Only one team in the East, uh, the New York Rangers, who were swept by Carolina, is gone. So, I mean, it changes or has the potential to change on a daily basis. I still remain shocked that the Edmonton Oilers are up against the wall now down 2-1 to 12 seed Chicago. Um, so it is a little bit difficult to tell just yet because, you know, we simply don't know who's going to, to, to move through. So, you know, and, and we know that St. Louis having lost in that uh, buzzer beater to uh, Colorado um, is likely going to finish, I don't know, where, you know, somewhere between second and fourth in terms of the round-robin standing. So it's it, it's a very fluid situation. Listen, I, I think the round-robin has been – it's a bit of a hard thing to handicap because um, the schedule is so spread out. Uh, the intensity, I think, for the most part – I thought that St. Louis-Colorado game had some, some jam to it. But, it, listen, you, you can't manufacture the emotion of playing in – an elimination series, and that's what's going on in those other best-of-five series. Uh, and if we focus on the Western Conference, you know, we know, like, to me, I see a team like Nashville. Uh, I thought that they were a better team than Arizona, but Arizona's up 2-1 now after some mental mistakes from them. Um, I still am waiting to see, you know, the Calgary Flames, I think, are starting to show some identity. They were the best team in the Western Conference a year ago, uh, knocked off in the first round by, by Colorado. I think they seem to have matured. I think they're a dangerous team potentially moving forward, coming out of the, the play-in round. Um, and, the, and the Winnipeg Jets, of course, um, you know, decimated by injury, so it's hard to see whether they can get back in that series. We're going to see game three of a Vancouver-Minnesota series. Again, on paper, Vancouver much deeper offensively. I think they have, should have the edge in goaltending and Jacob Markstrom, but that series is not at one apiece. So, you know, if you're St. Louis, my guess is that Craig Berube wants the team to find a nice rhythm over the course of the next two games. My guess is, yes, he would like to win. Uh, I am also guessing that if they happen to go 0-3, um, as, long as, as long as he felt that they were trending or tracking the right way, um, I don't think he's going to be too upset. This is a Blues team that, of course, um, you know, had, to, had to go the hard route to, to win its first ever Stanley Cup championship last playoff year. So I don't think he's fretting too much about matchups moving into uh, the first round of the playoffs, which will begin uh, early next week. Scott, one of the teams that uh, I put on my list for, I guess, less preferred for the St. Louis Blues was the Nashville Predators. And reasons behind that were that they have a, a good core group of guys. A lot of the guys that are still there from their big run a couple of years ago. And, you know, 
But the one thing that is still mind-boggling to me is they have not gone to Peke Rene yet. And I'm just wondering, you know, look, I know that uh, Saros had a very good season for the Predators, but Rene's resume has been pretty good overall in his career, certainly a Vezina-caliber goalie for many years. Why do you think that the Coach Hines has decided to go with Saros, and how soon will we see Peke Rene in this series? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's been a whole the whole Predators team has been fascinating to me for the last two years really because again I to your point it, it's such a on paper it looks like a lineup that is built for the playoffs it looks like a lineup that should be a threat to go deep in the playoffs on an annual basis and you know they got their lunch handed to them last year in the first round by Dallas and they have they meandered through much of this season and my my assumption is that UC Saros, because he basically saved the Predators' season, uh, coming on as the starter when Pecorine was more up and down this regular season, Saros was the reason that they were in a position to join this, uh, you know, the 12 teams from the Western Conference. And I thought he earned the start in game one of the series, a couple bad bounces. They lost game one. I thought he bounced back very nicely. He was excellent in the first period of game two, which the Predators needed to win and did. And then yesterday in a game that where you're waiting for the Predators to take control, you know, Saros was okay, not great. Uh, but there's a lot of leadership void for me on that Predators team. You know, Matt Duchesne goes offside uncontested on a goal by Kyle Turris that would have given the Predators a 2-1 lead. Um, like, just a complete mental breakdown by Matt Duchesne. No need to go offside. He does it and negates a goal. Shortly after that, Arizona, Arizona takes advantage of it and, and pull away with the win. I guess I'm wondering, like you, does Pecorine then come in in a must-win situation in Game 4? Um it's a bit of a dicey situation. Not only is it, he hasn't played in the series, but of course, um, you know, when you think about not playing meaningful games for now five months, that's a tough, uh, tall order. But I wouldn't be at all shocked if we do see Pecorine in that must-win situation to see if the Predators can uh, force a fifth game. And frankly, I'm with you. I'd love to see, uh, well, I know you think they're a bad matchup, but I'd love to see St. Louis-Nashville. I think it would be a great first-round matchup if it ever got to that point. We're talking with Scott Burnside. He's a national hockey writer for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at Overtime Scott B. Scott, we were talking about the other day which teams potentially have really been able to take off in this sort of a setting and I brought up the idea of well if you've got that one player that can really carry you right now that relies on athleticism and speed as opposed to the team game like the Blues are well that's clearly translating and then you look over at some of the teams that are doing that and it hasn't necessarily translated the way that we all expected is there a big takeaway that you've had on that so far in this restart of the type of team that has been able to translate well to getting started quickly here? Yeah, you know, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that very issue leading up to the return to play and which teams could take advantage, which teams could hit the ground running. Uh, I think there is a benefit for those teams who will advance from the play-in round uh, to the first round next week uh, in that they, their emotional investment will be much different than than the, than the round-robin teams. That's just that's just going to be life, and I think it's going to be difficult for some of the round-robin teams um, maybe to get up to speed once things start next week in the best of seven. Um, but 
I look at a team, you know, for what's been interesting for me is is some of the teams that you would have expected more discipline from, where you expect better leadership, or you expect their experience to really shine through. Well, I mentioned Nashville Predators. What about both Pittsburgh and Edmonton? Heavy, heavy favorites against 12th seed Chicago in the West and Montreal in the East. And both those teams are down 2-1 now. And, and to me, a lot of it, especially with the Edmonton Oilers, it's a lack of discipline. You spend too much time in the penalty box. And disrupt your flow. You're keeping Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the bench uh, in five-on-five situations when they should dominate um, because you're being careless and because you're not ready to play the games. And I think we've seen that in a surprising um, uh, amount of evidence from teams you wouldn't expect it from. Montreal, on the other hand, played very, uh, <clears throat> very smart for the most part in terms of penalties. Um, and they have, they're sort of playing with house money almost. And Chicago, I think it's the same way. Uh, and of course, we've seen a real renaissance in Chicago with Jonathan Taze. You know, I think people were rightly wondering, have we seen the glory days of that team and specifically the captain pass by over the last couple of years? He has been rejuvenated by this cause and has been an absolute force, scored the winner with less than two minutes to go last night uh, to give the Blackhawks a 2-1 series lead. So it'll be fascinating to see if the Blackhawks can close out Edmonton. Can they keep up that kind of performance um, against a team? Well, I assume it'll be Colorado with the, with the number one seed, although it could be Vegas, I suppose. But uh, that'll be fascinating to see if they can carry that into the first round. He's Scott Burnside. You can read his work over on The Athletic, where he's a national hockey writer. You can follow him on Twitter, at Overtime Scott B. Scott, we always appreciate the time, my man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Anytime, guys. You got it. That is Scott Burnside joining us here on 101 ESPN. There's a lot to get into with this Blues team. I want to get into what is happening with Robert Thomas, what the situation is with him. I've got some questions about that whole thing we'll get into that coming up at 1230 but coming up next 65780 is the air comfort service tax line if you've got some questions we will try to have some answers and we'll do it all next on 101 espn we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn Seltzers or Long Islands? Oh, my God. That's all I want to know, Ferrario. Seltzers or Long Islands today? No, ask Mike Ryder. He doesn't even know what happened. Okay, it doesn't matter what Mike Ryder thinks right now. listeners know. No, they don't. Are we going into the junk drawer questions and answers? Yeah. Text line 65780. Who at home thinks Alex Ferrario has popped the bubbly a little early today? It might have even been a bottle. Just a straight bottle this morning. It is a a 5.30 uh, pre- uh, they, see, there tonight. we go. Hold there on. we Where go. Am I at right what now? time do you go on the air, Ferrario? <sighs> I'll, I'll give it to myself. You are one pathetic loser. I'll allow it. You've struggled with this tar- start time, right? Because I saw you on Twitter. You're like all pumped up. Ah, get him in. And then people are like, no, the game actually starts at 5 was That was Sunday. That was, yeah. that was a weekend thing. So this is getting, happen. This is getting progressively worse. You got maybe. a little wild at that, uh, that drive around parade. Oh, he <laughs> did. Him and Louie. Yikes. <laughs> One was allowed, one was not. We'll let you figure it out. (laughs) Questions and answers, I believe, is what we're trying to do here. Let's get to this one from the 636. Guys, do you think that there will be an increase of players hung over on the ice since the game starts so early and there probably isn't anything else to do in the bubble? 
Yeah, no. No, I don't think so. Look, today's players are, are quite a bit different. Now, I will say the St. Louis Blues have adopted some old school mentality in the last year, year and a half uh, of being together. But look, you're in the bubble and maybe you'll throw a few back from time to time. But you know what? You're very aware of your start time the next day. And if your start time is earlier than you're used to, then you're probably going to hold off a little bit because there's always post game. And you know what they say, BK? The beers always taste better with a victory. That's what I've heard. Yes. I think they taste pretty good no matter what. But they taste good, but they're so much better when you win. I did read to The Athletic. They had a piece yesterday with a running diary from one of the players in the Western Conference bubble. And in that diary, it's like a week of what it's like to be in the bubble. He's like, listen, there's not a whole lot going on right now. Like the only thing that I'm doing so far is I get back to my room or I hang out with the boys. There was uh, in 64 tournament one night and they just drink wine like that's pretty oh, much it. That's kind of my life, actually. Well, actually, I don't really get to sit around, but I still drink the wine. <laughs> now, what would have been fun, guys, is uh, for the round robin specifically, we talk about they didn't have anything on the line, right? Like, ah, it's kind of so so it doesn't have the intensity of the play ins. They should have organized it to where the losing team in each game has to supply the beer for after the game to the winning team. I like that. You have to buy the booze for the winning team. What do you think the booze of choice would be among players? Beer is a heavy one in vodka. What kind of beer are we talking? Are we talking like a Bud Light? Guys are pretty... Listen, because you go from city to city to city, a lot of times you stick with the regular, right? Like you just stick, "Ah, I'm just going to stay with what I know. Contrary to you, like you in St. Louis... And in Kansas City, you want to hit all the craft beers, sure. and you but you have an idea of what you're looking for. If I picked you up and plopped you in Montana, Labatt's Blue, you, you'd be like, <laughs> wait a minute, right? So for the players that are there now, it's definitely some of the more normal beers like the Buds, the Bud Light. You know, maybe Bud the, Light was stocked in the locker room in Boston for Game Seven. Yeah, so that to me, but it would be fun then to be like, okay, uh, we lose tonight, you guys go order all the beer that you want, and we'll pay the tab tomorrow morning and that way there yeah you're elevating the game a little bit having some fun at the same time six five seven eight zeros the air comfort service tax line four questions and answers from the 618 guys are we sure that we don't want to see an almost entirely different cardinals team next year meaning new names on the field all over the place I'm sorry. I wasn't listening at all to the question. I was focused on 314 asking us, why are you two so hard on Alex for drinking? I have to frink heavily just to get through this show. (laughs) 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 At that point, I blacked out and I was laughing. We also got one from the 573. Went to college with Alex. Definitely a lightweight on the booze decisions. (laughs) Hold up. I need to know what number that is because that's true. (laughs) <laughs> so sorry, BK, to your question again. Do you guys feel like you want to see an entirely new Cardinals team next year? Entirely new? Like yeah. what? Like just blow it up? Yeah, just blow it up. No, I don't Start want that. Start new. I don't want that. I think they have a lot of really good pieces. I do. I think they're missing some obvious pieces, but I don't think blowing it up, especially if you want to stay competitive every year, which the Cardinals have a great tradition of at least being competitive every year and for the most part being in the playoff conversation. I know that people around St. Louis get sick of that. Hey, we're just happy to be here mentality. But you know how many teams would give anything to be 
just happy to be around every year in the discussion Cardinals for playoffs. Royals fan buzzing in. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'd sign right. <laughs> so listen, I'm happy with what they're doing. Uh, are we always satisfied? No. Can they make some changes? Yes. And I think that they will. And I think actually, to Alex's point yesterday, I think this is a good thing for the Cardinals to find out what they have. And you know what? They might get a surprise and go, holy crap, we can actually accelerate what we want to do here because of player X, Y, or Z. Here's a question for you guys. How many of the current Cardinals starting lineup? So I'm talking about the position players. Okay. Would you expect to be here three years from now? Like you're very confident they from will the roster be right now from hmm. the roster right now, the current starting or the, the current 28 man roster that three they have years from now. That's a long time. BK two of them. Who are your two Goldschmidt would be one for me. DeYoung. DeYoung would be the other. That's it. Yachty's not going to be here. It's either going to be retirement yeah, or they're see, not going to bring him back. I'm looking at the outfield a little bit, and I see Tyler O'Neill here. He's one that I thought about. I think I think Tyler O'Neill will be here. If he if he does well this year, I think yes. But if he struggles this year, no. He and Tommy Edmond were the yeah, other well, two that I thought about. If my aunt had, you know what? She'd be my uncle, right? Exactly. Could be both. Could. Never know. Now. That going back to the question, yeah, DeYoung and Goldie would be my locks. If you're to have a lock on something, they would be my lock. Tyler O'Neill is my my dark horse on that one. Tommy Edmond would be another dark, dark horse for me. And then the last one would be Colton Wong. If he decided to re-sign Three this offseason... I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think it's more likely he's gone next year uh-huh. than that he's here three years from now. But if they decide, you know what, let, let's say he has a good year this year. That's a tough guy to get rid of, man. He's your leadoff hitter right now. He's got he's at a high on base percentage. If Again, he has a good year this year. Two straight seasons. He's got gold glove defense at second base. He's got great accessories at bat. I mean, he's got it all, right? Yeah. What more could you really ask for from your second baseman than that? Maybe a smaller salary and we can keep him here. Well, that's part of the issue. The big thing I'd ask for. Yeah. Now, we do have a question about uh, from the text line here. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, where is Jack Flaherty going now? If you're just joining in, we said position players. Obviously, if we went pitchers, Jack Flaherty would be the number one guy on all of our. I feel like they have quite a few pitchers that that I'm pretty confident are going to be. Do you want to go there? Everyone keeps saying Colton Wong. For what he's going to want, I don't see it happening. Well, I, I just think for what he wants for a contract, these people are wrong about it. Nice. That was so bad. No, that was good. That, that was on. pretty bad. Come on, no, that just... <laughs> Certainly wasn't that no, good. wasn't that good at all. I actually okay. got embarrassed there. Let's go through the pitching <laughs> staff real quick. Flaherty would be one of them that I would be confident is going to be here. See, under he doesn't become a free agent by then, does he? No. Okay. Three years yeah. from now will be his final yeah. year on his deal. Yeah. Dakota Hudson, I think, will still be here in some capacity, as long as he's not traded. How old but is he? Say, I think he could be traded. How old is he? He is 26. 26. Ooh. I don't think he's here. I think he could be traded. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Ryan Helsley, I think, will be here. Giovanni Gallegos, we'll see. All these bullpen arms, like, who knows? But depending, as long as he's still healthy and able to throw, I think Giovanni Gallegos will be here. Gombers won, I'm not sure about. I thought going into this week, he would be somebody that I would say for sure will be here. 
This KK decision throws all of that into flux. This KK decision throws all sorts of things around. It, it's like, wait a minute, what direction are we headed in here? When Ponce gets elevated ahead of KK because you want KK as a closer. Now you got another guy that goes down. Gomber should have been your guy because KK's in the bullpen. No, KK's going back to the rotation. Guys, I don't think Gomber's going to be here much longer. From the 636, wow. Brett Cecil will be gone next year. Brett Cecil is, well, he's available anyways. <laughs> Why do you say Gomber's gone? said, I don't think he's going to be here much longer. Uh, he, I'm, I'm missing her longer. Um, okay. No, 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 no. That deserves this. Oh, my. I, I, I don't even know where your head was at on that I one, know. I'm still lost. Here, I, I sipped on one of your Long Island. Yeah, you sipped it, on all of them. You know it's bad when I'm the only sober one on the show. My gosh. <laughs> If he's a guy that was going to be in the rotation, and I thought that was going to be the decision, okay, you can build around that. The fact that there's been two now spots that have opened up, and they've gone with Ponce de Leon for the first one over Gomber, and now they're going KK over Gomber after they had just said recently they wanted KK to focus on his role as the closer. I don't know that they view Gomber as a long-term option in the rotation. All their actions would suggest otherwise. If that ends up being the case, well, then what's his future? I like him as a long reliever, but what's the value in that compared to being a starter or a back end of the bullpen uh, reliever? I don't know that he has a long-term role on this team. I think he might be somebody that ends up getting traded. The only thing I can think of with Gomber is that he's just not stretched out to the point of where KK and Ponce de Leon is just because he missed all of one year. But I don't, it's hard for me to understand. All be- spring training, they yeah. told us that he was fighting for a rotation spot. And he was starting throughout spring training. He never once came out of the bullpen for those guys. So that's the part that's hard. But that's the only reasoning I can look at this and say, okay, well, maybe that's why Gomber's not put in there. Or maybe they just truly think KK's better. We did learn one thing yesterday. We learned one player that there were questions as to whether or not he was going to be back in 2021. Now we know the answer to that, and I'm pretty sure it's in the affirmative. We'll talk about who that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So we learned one thing yesterday, and I'm not talking about KK going to the rotation. Obviously, we learned that. We learned about a guy who's going to be around for a little while longer. According to reports, it sounds like Matt Wieters is going to be your catcher for the foreseeable future. Of no, he is. not Andrew Kisner. Not the guy that we've all been excited about that's been waiting in the wings for whenever Yadier Molina retires. Mm-mm. Nope, definitely not the time to get that guy any, uh, any reps behind the plate. Nope, it is likely going to be Matt Wieters instead. Jamie, Alex Ferrario. I can tell you right now with 100% confidence, Yadier Molina is going to be back on this roster next year after what I learned yesterday. Oh, yes, 100% I, confidence. I had thought that anyways. If they don't have confidence for Andrew Kisner to catch a few games, we don't know how long Yadier's going to be back, but it's a it, this is not something that's going to be super extended, we hope. We would, we would be led to believe. So if it's, let's say, a one or two week absence, you would think that Andrew Kisner is good enough to fill in for that time period. The Cardinals apparently do not believe that to be the case. They're going with the veteran Matt Wieters instead. If they don't trust him in this situation, 
they sure as hell are not trusting him over a full 162 game season next year. So if there was any question in the back of your mind going into this offseason as to whether or not Yachty will be back next year, I think the Cardinals just told you with their actions, you don't have to worry about that anymore. They're going to make sure that Yachty or Molina is back next season. Yeah, This is an interesting choice for me. And as I use my, you know, my, my, GM brain, I'm looking at a guy who has a lot more runway ahead of him than Matt Wieters does. And yeah, you know, we're finding out, I'm finding out rather that, yeah, Andrew Kisner is new to the catcher position. How many years now? Just a couple? Yeah, it's like three, right? Okay, so three years. So obviously it tells me something, though, if I'm evaluating talent. If you can take a player from another position and have enough confidence in him to put him maybe not in the major league starting role, but a starting role, even a triple-A baseball, this guy's an elite talent. I don't mean like superstar, okay? But he's good enough that you can move positions like that. And catcher's pretty important as far as what guy you're relying upon. I don't see why the Cardinals would make this decision. I like Matt Wieters. I think he is, you know, he's effective in his yeah, way. I don't. <laughs> I, but uh, what I'm saying is I don't hate the thought of it. But I just don't understand the rationale for when you have a player that you could develop right now almost like without repercussion because, well, we're, you know, we're missing these guys, this guy, that guy, no pressure on the young kid. Go in, have some fun, play some games. The only thing I can think of with this is Matt Wieters, of course, is the veteran who can, you know, maintain the younger pitchers coming out of the bullpen, kind of like Yachty. But this one baffles the hell out of me because we've been, we've been, pumped up to hear about Andrew Kisner from the Cardinals of this guy's a top 100 prospect. He's a guy who can, he can take over when Yadier Molina decides to call it a career. And it's the same thing with Carson Kelly. You just never saw those opportunities show up. It was either down in Memphis or it was on the bench when they brought in somebody else to be the backup catcher. To me, this signifies that the Cardinals don't feel like Kisner is their everyday catcher in the future. He's a guy that they want to, promote to major league but it's also a guy that they don't feel like can be in there every day yeah but then what is your play in a couple of years right even like yachty's your guy i think 100 percent yachty's your guy for next season but i'd be anxious to see what the cardinals do after that do they give yachty two more years and yeah. if so but like what is your what is your next move well they got a young matt catcher. Wieters is not your guy two years no from they now. got a young no. catcher ivan herrera who is supposed to be a, a very uh, very top consideration in prospects. I, and he's a, he was in high A ball yeah. last check, and he's 19 years old, so he's a few years away. And still. defensively, this guy's a stud, according to what they're telling us. Offensively, he can hit. He's supposed to be the next big thing, but you're still four, five years away from from having you him. Can, you've got a you've got a gap there between yep. Yadi's uh, career coming to an end and then this kid's career blossoming. So that gap has to be filled by somebody. And why not have a guy like Kisner who you've put some time and effort in and developing. And then if the young guy, what's his last name again? Herrera. 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 If Herrera is all that in a bag of chips, like we're thinking he's going to be, at least you've developed some kind of an asset in Kisner that you can use in some other direction. As of right now, like when you put all your your eggs in one basket with Matt Weeders, what are you telling the rest of the league? Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Uh, we had somebody text in. I, it's not that they don't trust Kisner; it's that Weeders is a proven solid catcher. In what respect? 
because the last time that Matt Wieters was an above average major league hitter was 2014. He played 26 games but that what's year. What's his defense like? Because that's, that's the thing that people throw at me all the time. Yeah, but you don't know how good he is behind the plate. If you look at his career, and I'm looking at some of the advanced numbers, defensive runs saved, which Yadier Molina me, is. Though, eh, please. How good are you defensively? Okay. Ooh, how many you. runs do you save behind the plate? <laughs> Yadier Molina consistently ranks among the top in all of baseball in that statistic in particular. The last time that Andrew Kisner, or excuse me, that Matt Wieters, take two, was... <laughs> above average in that respect was 2012 it's 2020 like this is not a guy that i would 2012 yes it's been eight years since he was above weeders 53 he's not a young gentleman holy um there was once upon a time is yadi older than him uh yadi's 35 yeah. And Matt Wieters is 34, so a Barely. year Barely. I'm sitting here going, what are we doing here? I don't. This is a progress stopper. If you've got Andrew Kisner, you need to find out what he is. There is no development taking place with Kisner this year. None. Because if he's not going to play, and we are clearly now learning that unless there's an injury to both Wieters and Yachty, Kisner's not going to see the field this year. He's not getting any sort of development from this. So what I have learned over the last 24 hours based on this revelation is that Kisner is not in the Cardinals long term future. He's not a guy that they're going to count on. Maybe he's somebody that they use in a trade package and somebody else sees him as a better prospect than the Cardinals do. Or they view him as a uh, another team views him as a DH, maybe because all we've heard about him is that he can hit at every level. He's a career 300 hitter in the minors. Defensively, he is still a bit of a project. We've heard that from everybody that we've talked to about Kisner. But you want to see what he can give you. And right now, the Cardinals apparently don't want to go down that route. So from the 618 on the text line, 65780, Air Comfort Service text line, Weeders was an all-star in 2016. How drunk are you, BK? He was an all-star, and he was a 7-11 OPS guy. And behind the plate defensively, he was below average. He got that all-star appearance based in part because of his reputation. And that's what a lot of people are talking about right now. They want to see him starting because of his previous reputation. Matt Wieters is not that guy at this point in his career. He just isn't. And he once was. He once was a really good catcher in baseball. Is not the guy that the Cardinals have on their roster anymore. He's, he hasn't been that in quite a while. He's known for his offense more than his defense. And his it, offense hasn't been good in almost a decade. No. I mean, he, he was a good pinch hitter for the Cardinals last year, but he's not somebody that I think I would be looking at in my lineup. I'd he put had him some in, big hits, though. I'd put him in as a DH. I mean, he's a switch hitter. I'd he used hit 15 last year. With yeah, but he had some big below. hits. Timely hits for the Cardinals. That's he had fine. some big home runs. And some guys him. couldn't hit the yeah. ball Adam at all. Wainwright had some big hits for the Cardinals Wayne over the years. my DH. Right. We know that. I, I don't want a guy that's hitting 215. If we're going to talk about Dexter Fowler and all of his struggles, well, Dexter Fowler has been a hell of a lot better than Matt Wieters has over the last few seasons. This is not a guy that you want bat- batting at DH for sure for you. And I I personally don't even want to see him behind the plate. The part that surprises the hell out of me is Mike Schilt knows Andrew Kisner. Mike Schilt managed Andrew Kisner in Memphis. He knows what kind of player this is. And he's not wanting to make this decision. It's Matt Weider. So the only thing I can justify this for is the fact that you're putting the veteran who has caught more major league innings and is better defensively, better offensively, or so we're, so we're told, uh, putting him out there to help your team right now because you need wins. It's the only thing I can come up with with on this. Let me ask you guys this. And the text line just brought up something interesting. Cottleville Chris, he's always good. He's on his game all the time. (laughs) He says from the 636, you're freaking out over a nothing burger. Double headers. 
And so here's what I think he's trying to say is because the Cardinals schedule yeah, it's cluster like 56 games in 52 days that they're going to have to play. That's right. So we're going to end up with double headers, yeah. which I, I believe what Cottleville Chris is saying is we're going to see Kisner. Yeah, we're absolutely going to see Kisner. And just because sure. they've said that Matt Wieters is going to be our guy with the most, you know, maybe the most starts here and there. Maybe they're not addressing the fact that on the back end of these, on the, in the second game of the doubleheader, you're getting Andrew Kisner. And then, guys, I pose this question to you. If Andrew Kisner shows up and plays well and hits the ball and is effective, does that switch halfway oh, yeah. through and Kisner become the guy? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Ba- at base- least he's going to get a chance, right? If he's in the doubleheaders, he'll have a chance. If we know the Cardinals, if, you are, if you're hitting you're going to be in the lineup. So if Kisner gets a shot on a doubleheader and he goes three for four, he's going to be in your lineup the next day. I don't know, because I think that this decision tells us that they value the defense and the ability to handle a pitching staff more than they value the bat. Because Kisner is the better bat. Our text line can tell us all they want about how... Well, not at the major league level, though. In a very short sample size, but everything that we've heard from every scouting report about Andrew Kisner, we saw this with Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly struggled because he was in the lineup one day and then he was out for two weeks in the lineup one day and then out for two weeks. Now he gets his opportunity where he's an everyday catcher. He's a really good hitter in Major League Baseball. So I think we were going to see something similar with Kisner. I just I don't think that they trust him to handle the pitching staff. I think that's what they're telling us with this decision. And I just I disagree with it. I, we can we can have our disagreement. I, I think that Dylan Carlson should be up right now. I disagree with that decision. But this is the way that they're going. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is less about the immediate future and more about what it's going to be in 2021. And that is that Yadier Molina is without question going to be back for the Cardinals in 2021. It's 12 16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. We'll do that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of bet it or forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. If you would like to get one in for this segment, Ribs, Ferrario, Bet it or forget it. Matt Carpenter is your everyday third baseman until Paul DeYoung returns. I am going to bet it. I think that uh, I think they're going to try and get Lane Thomas, some at bats in the DH role. I think they'll experiment with some other guys that they've brought up to take a swing in there. Get it. All right, that missed the mark. So, anyways, like yeah, the I, Gomber longer thing earlier. I, yeah, that was. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, I, I definitely put myself. Mine was in still worse. I like how we tried to like enunciate it too. Longer, uh, Gomber. Anyways, I won't. You're starting to understand. I'm going to power through this. Is what I'm going to do. And I think that Matt Carpenter will play at third base. Yes, I'm forgetting it. I think. Carpenter's the DH. I think Schilt's keeping him in the DH. Lane Thomas is going to get those at-bats. It's going to be in the center field position. Brad Miller's going to be your oh third baseman. Oh, my base God. This Brad Miller He's guy. all over Millsy. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. The Cardinals are all over Brad, Brad Miller. A money. What kind of pictures of does he have? Huh? Is Brad pictures. Miller your new Ron Hell Ravello? Are you just switching no. it up? Ravioli no. got no. dusted. Ravioli, now he's on to Millsy. Ravioli is my guy. He's just got COVID. He'll be back, and he'll be better than ever. But... <laughs> Brad Miller. I, look, I don't think the guy's good, but I, I'm putting Alex, it out there that he said his name a record amount of times in two days on this station. Hey, I'm just telling you what's going to happen. He's All a right. left-handed hitter. What am put I missing? On, please tell me what I'm missing on Brad Miller. I, I ask this in all sincerity. He's I, had I shades of power in. in his career. Where? I mean, 
He, he hit 30 home runs in 2016. Okay, that was four years ago. He has not hit more than 13 in any other season in his career. Well, maybe he's just not getting the proper maybe playing time. help that year. Ah, he's 30 years old. Thanks, Bugs. <laughs> he had one year, really, and I'm actually specifically talking about about two months of being a really good hitter in the major leagues. The question comes down to who's the better defenseman the third base. Is it Carpenter or is it Miller? Or is it probably Miller? Edmund, Miller and Miller, shortstop. Edmund's going to be short. Yeah. Edmund's got more, more mobility there. He's right, played well, there before. you guys too. Yeah. It comes down to that. I mean, look at the defensive metrics. Whoever's better is going to be third base for you. Better to forget it. Tyler O'Neill finishes the year with at least 15 home runs. Oh, I'm betting. I told you at the start of the season. I said, this guy's got 12 to 15 in him. What's he got right now? Three? Two, right? I think he's got three. Let me check. Checking in. Maybe it's, it's two. two. Okay, it's two. two. Still, he's well on his way, fellas. BK was right. Yeah, he was right. I <laughs> hate those really games. That's the oh. worst. I just threw up in my mouth. Anyways, um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think I said 12 to 15 home runs for Tyler O'Neill. So if you're saying better to forget it on 15, I got my boys back. We got the maple syrup. We're going, baby. Rivers is going to hate me. I'm forgetting it. Well, because Brad Miller's going to have 50. Yeah. <laughs> no, he'll have 30. He's going to have 30. <laughs> Second year of his career. I think that time, I think the amount of games, and maybe they make them up, but I think you're looking at more 12 for Tyler O'Neill. I like the 12 to 15. 15 is going to be tough. Brad though. Miller and Matt, Matt Wieters, the 2013 All-Star, is going to be coming up big for the Cardinals this year. <laughs> I, I'm the sad part it. is, if that happens, oof. <laughs> I'm going to bet it. I, I'm yes. I'm all in on Tyler O'Neill. Let's let's ride the O'Neill train because I think it is our best bet of the Cardinals being able to make it through this part of their schedule with any sort of oomph in the middle of that lineup. So I'm here for it. Tyler O'Neill over 15 home runs this season. Better to forget it. Dylan Car- Carlson is in the Cardinals starting lineup by September 1st. How many games in will we be? That will be thirty in by then. Thirty in by then, hopefully. (laughs) Yes, I'm a bet it. I said it from the start. I have not changed. I have not flippy floppied on this ever. I think the thirty game mark is when we're going to be hearing about Dylan Carlson. So I will bet it, gentlemen. This one's tough because you believe the Cardinals, and you know what the Cardinals are going to Cardinals, right? But I'm going to bet this one as well. I think by September first, you're you're pushing for the postseason. His bat might help things out. By that time, you would hope you'll know what the hell Bader O'Neill slash Lane Thomas is. I'll bet it on that. Well, don't forget, we also need to know about Miller and Weeders. Nelsey, <laughs> Justin Williams. Yeah, we got to find out about Austin Dean. Can that guy yeah. help us? Uh, Jimmy Dean, sausage. Yeah. Austin Dean is a smasher. I, I'm going to forget it, and I'm going to hope that I'm wrong on this one. Nothing in their decision-making process thus far has made me believe that they are ready to hand things over to a young player. Like, what, where have we seen that be Andrew Kisner? Well, they don't have much nah. of a choice, though, BK. Look at it. The only guy who's not a young player is Dexter Fowler. The other guys are, in theory, young players. But even the replacements that they're going with are, well, let's go with the, let's go with Miller. Yeah, he, but they're not doing that in the outfield. Yeah. Understood. You but, don't have guys that you're wondering who they are in the infield that aren't available. But you could give them the DH opportunities. This is what I'm saying is it's not a one-for-one with the outfield. Tyler O'Neill could play DH instead of whether it be Carpenter or Miller, and you put somebody else in the outfield. Maybe that gives you more opportunities instead of 
Forget Dylan Carlson for a second. Now you can see what you have, since they want to know, with Austin Dean and Lane Thomas, where you can switch up Dean, Thomas, and Bader. And, and then maybe you can call up and Justin Williams. you hate Williams. Austin Dean more than anybody. I don't even know Austin Dean, but obviously BK is not a fan. Jimmy Dean sausages. You just I'm going to get it. a jersey made up for BK. You should totally. On yeah. the back. And then, uh, no. I want Millsy on mine. And then the front says the best. <laughs> Millsy? Millsy. Brad Miller. Miller. Millsy. The 30 He's home guy. run hitter. I thought you were Maple. Maple? Oh, Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. oh, I've got a tattoo of that guy. Guys, our minds are going off the trail yeah. tracks here. Mil- Bad- Maple? What are you talking about? Better to forget it. The Blues will finish 2-1 and one in the round robin format. Jamie, this is where typically I know I'm we're thinking. thinking. I know that's bad radio. Get off my back. <laughs> I'm going to bet it. to spew hot takes. I'm going to bet it. I think that uh, the Blues get their ish together. Yeah. And tonight is a great game for them to uh, play their game and match up well against the Vegas Golden Knights. And then I think if they get the momentum, which I think they'll get, they'll just steamroll the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I think the Dallas Stars, to me, for the way that they've played against Colorado and Vegas, that seems like it's a win. Vegas is going to be hard, but I'm going to bet it because I think the Vegas game is going to be a wake up for St. Louis of playing the similar style to you. That's going to take you to that next level of, oh, this is our game, boys. Let's sweep it. I'm going to bet it as well. There we go. I thought he was going to forget it, Ribs. Usually he's the salmon swimming upstream on these things. They got the best coach in hockey. They got the best team in hockey. Now he's the best. (laughs) Now he's the best. These blues are about to get hot. Tarasenko going to have two goals tonight. Oh! We're going to have like it. two points for Ryan O'Reilly. He'll be back on track. Okay. It's going to be a big night for the boys. So a we had big a question night for the boys. We had a question here earlier. We'll stay on topic. We had a question for me, but I'll throw it back at you guys. Do we see Jake Allen tonight? No. No. Jake Allen will be Dallas. Dallas. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So to our texter from, let's see here, 314, Jake Allen uh, will get the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I was just start. Like, forget it. No Jake Allen tonight. Yeah, forget it for me as well. We'll sweep that one as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it. Better to forget it from the 618. If the Cardinals get hot, it's going to push them to get Arenado even more. Better to forget it, I Jamie Rivers. forget it. It'll be all the more reason to slow play things again. No chance. I think that that if they do well, it's almost a kiss of death. And I hate to be that way, but uh, they're going to continue to find out what they have. And things are going really well right now. So we don't see a reason to upset the apple cart. Does that sound about right? Forget this one so hard. I am the Arenado fan club. 95%. Colorado what to Ravioli. <laughs> well, God. Why do you keep throwing names at me here? Well, Ravioli. I see you mills around a lot. Two, three. Arenado's up Okay. Colorado is not going to trade away Arenado when they sit at freaking eight and three overall and first in their division. Yeah, this is the he problem. The Cardinals have an issue on the Arenado front, boys. Colorado's good. The Rockies are kind of good this year. And he's Charlie Blackman. Right yeah. <laughs> Part of the reason why. Yeah. Charlie Blackman's batting 380 so far this season. He has 12 ribbies in 11 games. That'll play. They have potentially the MVP so far to the season and Trevor Story. I mean, the Rockies are the best team in their division right now. And I don't think it's going to stay that way. I think the Dodgers will eventually become that, but this is not shaking out well for the Cardinals to be able to get Arenado. It's not looking good for them. 
Now, if you want to look at a team that might be trading at the deadline, the Cleveland Indians are 7-6 and six and in third oh. place in their division right now. Lindor chocolate, baby. But we already know that that's unlikely to happen. But we've got Brad Miller. Brad Miller's going to pick up the slack at third base for these Cardinals. What's going on with Robert Thomas? I think the Blues are going to get back on track tonight. Are they going to have to do it without Robert Thomas? Talk about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So there was a strange tweet that was sent out last night by Jeremy Rutherford. Said Baruby says Robert Thomas may not play on Thursday. Cairo could be inserted. They say that this is all precautionary and that there's no reason to be alarmed on this. The situation is, quote, nothing serious, just precaution. That doesn't make me super confident, though, Jamie. I would love to hear your insight on this, because as we were talking about the Blues going back into this restart, Robert Thomas was one of the guys that we were most excited about. This is his opportunity to really take that next leap, that next step in his career. And I I don't have a whole lot of concern that he's going to miss any time. But if he is limited in any capacity, that is a little alarming for me. What do you make of this? How much of a concern do you have about what's going on with Robert Thomas right now? I don't have any concern right now. I think uh, to your point, you know, I'm worried about how will this, you know, affect him? Will it nag on? Will it? This is why they're doing this. Is exactly why they're doing this. There's a little bit of a red flag that went up somewhere health-wise for Robert Thomas, and I'm I'm not talking about the Rona. We're talking about something different here, maybe a hip flexor, maybe a groin, maybe a little shoulder problem, something that has just been nagging him a little bit. Hey, pull the plug on that right now before we get to our first playoff round. You wanted to get some reps for Kairou anyway because he is probably going to be your first player you default to after Mackenzie McEachern, who certainly fits the fourth-line role. Jordan Kairou is a top-three-line type player that if you look to spark the offense, heck, you might even go in the future to Sammy Blay, Robert Thomas, Jordan Kairou on the line to try and spark some offense. you got to get him some reps. And Robert Thomas, not 100%. Why would you drag this kid through the mud right now with a, maybe a little bit of an injury? Get him healthy. Get him ready because you know you're going to need him. So I'm not ready to fire off the flares, the warning signals of what's going on here at Robert Thomas. I think they're doing the smart thing by trying to maintain him so he's ready. And at the same time, it gives them, like I said, a look at Jordan Cairo, who could be an interesting piece of the puzzle heading into the playoffs. Guys, who's, who's coming in right now? Oh, it's oh, conspiracy tin, theory tin Ferrario. Ferrario. Here he is. Tinfoil Ferrario. Get the name of the segment right. Come on, buddy. Somebody buy this name right. Jeez. Gotta make my house payment. I, I, I do think there's something that's... that's I'll chip into 14% of that. There you go. <laughs> nice. Mike Ryder didn't appreciate that one. <laughs> I, I think there's some type of tweak with Robert Thomas, but I think this is more so getting playing time for Cairo. I think you want to get people in. Like I said, I think there was a red flag that popped up for Robert Thomas, but if this was playoff seven round, he's playing no yes. matter what. You're fighting through this. This is a round robin game, and this is the opportunity for Berube to say, hey, you don't feel the best? Sit down. We wanted to get Cairo in anyway. You mm-hmm. want to get, you got to have that depth having the opportunities. So I think this is more of a coach opportunity to say, sit down, take your breaks. We're going to get Cairo in to have a little uh, to have a little work in to get some experience. To your point on that, Alex, 
That's exactly why they're doing this, is they don't want to get to a situation where they're like, hey, Robert Thomas, play through this. We need you now. Let's not get to that point. Yeah. Let's hopefully rectify it before we have to have him muscle through it or power through it, as we like to say on the show yeah. here. But, yeah, Cairo's an interesting piece, BK. He really is, because if he can scratch the surface offensively right now, well, let's do this. How many goals do the Blues have so far? Uh, not enough. One. I believe it's one, and one. I believe it's a power play goal. Power play goal. One. You need offense right now, okay? You're you're not producing. What can Jordan Cairo do? Well, he brings speed. He brings that offensive awareness, and he's gifted with a really good shot and a knack for creating offense. So, therefore, let's get him in. Do I want him in instead of Robert Thompson? No, I'd like to see both the guys in the lineup. But if there is a nagging little something, rather, with Thomas... Get him healthy. Get Kairou some reps. I have no issue with them doing this tonight. It does make me a little concerned because like you guys said, it it makes me wonder what is going on with Robert Thomas. And we're not going to know because right now all they're doing is they're saying that you're either suitable to play or unsuitable to play. So we always have these lingering questions as to what the real issue is with players, lower body versus upper body. Well, just unfit to play these days. (laughs) So now (laughs) you just you, you have no idea what's going on with a guy like Robert Thomas. It's probably, as you said, Jamie, a nagging injury a nagging is probably more hurt than injured uh, but I don't like hearing that Robert Thomas is hurt going into the postseason I wanted Robert Thomas to be at a hundred percent ready to go to be able to be a guy that really can take that next step in his career in this postseason to show us exactly what he's capable of moving forward is finally as a center a full-time center they had made that switch a hundred percent with him and Bozak going into this and now we're just we're not sure exactly how is he at 70 percent, 90 percent where he's at. That's the only thing that really concerns me about this. It's not a huge alarm bell sounding for me, but it is a little disappointing that we get to this point and we're just about to start the actual playoffs and boom pops up the quote unquote injury for Robert Thomas. Thomas might have the Fortnite finger. He's a big video game player. You know, I've seen guys before they damage that thumb, that finger. They're trying to celebrate too much. They've got their Purple own tunnel. David they, Price style. What do they got their own custom victory dance? All this. You got to be very, very aware of these things. <laughs> I will. Carpal tunnel syndrome. Carpal tunnels. You can have some satisfaction <laughs> in knowing that Craig Ruby doesn't just throw things out there. Like if he said that it's nothing to be concerned about. No, there's nothing to be concerned about. Now, he did have a wrist issue at the beginning of the season, missed a couple of games that they were just just letting him kind of rest through. like carryover from last year in the playoffs. I don't know if that's what it is. I mean, it really could be anything right now. But if Baruby says there's nothing serious, there's nothing serious. Here's the thing with all of this, too, though. I I mean, there's there's guys on other teams that are going to be banned. Like, nobody's at 100% going into this first round, especially for these guys that are playing in the qualifying rounds because they're the ones that are truly going after it with each other in fights and big hits. So nobody's going to be 100% going into this. Let's get into this Knights versus Blues game. You'll hear the pregame report with Alex Ferrario beginning at uh, 4.30 right here on 101 ESPN. Puck drop will be at 5.30. We'll talk it over with Joey Vitale coming up here in just about 20 minutes or so. I think this has the potential to be the game where the Blues are able to get back to what they want to do, Jamie. I found this quote from Mackenzie McEachern to be particularly interesting yesterday. He said, quote, pretty similar makeup of teams, two big physical teams that are going at it. I think at the drop of the puck, you will see the brand of hockey right away. This is where the blues are not going up against a foreign style like the avalanche who are just flying up and down the ice, a completely different style of hockey than the blues would like to play. 
the Golden Knights have a little bit of a similarity in terms of stylistically what we're going to see. So I do think in terms of getting back to what the Blues want to do, tonight presents an opportunity for exactly that. Yeah, look, there's a couple of things I'm going to be looking for with this game is one is the discipline. And I mean, I am talking straight up penalties. So far, the NHL's averaged 10 penalties a game in this restart of their, their season, whereas it was seven penalties a game during the regular season leading up to this. So that's a three penalty difference is a lot when you're talking special teams and what the load could be on certain players. Also, let's not forget that Zach Sanford on February 13th yep. had four goals against the Vegas Golden Knights. So maybe it's a night where the ROR line breaks out and we have Perron not just being the only goal scorer on the power play, but Sanford and O'Reilly getting on the board as well. The one thing that does pop out to me a little bit, though, is Ryan O'Reilly. There's only two teams in the NHL that he's under 50% on in faceoffs, and Vegas Golden Knights is one of them. And he, his total right now, he's got 47.5% against the Vegas Golden Knights. What does that ultimately mean? You know what? I don't know, but I do know it means you don't get possession of the puck first, if that's the case. Yeah. And so Ryan O'Reilly, look, he's one of the most diligent hockey players out there with you know, taking his craft very, very seriously. I can imagine that he's going to bear down big time on his face-offs tonight. And the Blues are going to have to get back to that robust style. I think we see Robert Bortuzzo in tonight. I think that it's a no-brainer to get that big body in the lineup and start banging some bodies. Mackenzie McKechnie, guess what, kid? Here's your chance. Get busy. Get in the corners. Put some guys through the glass out there. Let your teammates know you're here for the long haul. And if they do that and they set the tone, I think we have a pretty successful night. See, I think it's the other way. I think you're going to see the, the the speed. I think that's why we're seeing Cairo in there. One, because it's Thomas Rives. I wonder if they're, if Ruby's going to try and utilize the speed on this roster with a Vince Dunn, with a Cairo, with a McEachern, because this Vegas team is a big body team. I mean, you said it. They're going to be banging Mark Stone, Ryan Reeves, Paul Stastny. You've got to have an answer for some of those guys, though. And the Blues defense corps as a whole does not have any answers to that physicality, even though they have some big bodies they're not outright physical the only guy that carries that tag mm-hmm. is Bortuzzo yeah yeah and I was looking at a couple of nuggets in this one too last night for pregame tonight power you're gonna see I think you're gonna see special teams not one because the officials love to blow the whistles in these games but two when you look at the three games that these teams played each other this season there were over 35 penalties called in all three of those games or well, total. The last game they played the Blues gave up four power play goals yeah so they're gonna have to tighten that up you gotta and, tighten that up and in hits you've had nearly 200 hits in the three games that these two these three are these two teams played in the three games so this will be a physical battle if you allow you cannot allow Ryan Reeves to get under your skin that is the number one one factor in all of this, much like a Brad Marchand or a Pat Maroon, if Ryan Reeves gets underneath your skin, they have the upper hand. One thing to remember, too, guys, tonight, this is the first game the Blues will be the home team. Yeah. Okay, so they get we the talk about, changes. oh, yeah, home ice advantage. No, no, don't worry about the home ice. We understand everybody's playing in the same rink. What it means is they get last change. They get a chance to set up their matchups first, and then the game, the mastermind game between the coaches will start, and whoever gets off balance with their matchups usually loses the game. So this bodes well for the Blues having the last change. At least they get to start on the right foot. And one thing to pay attention to is the Blues' power play. We know they kind of shuffled things up with Vladimir Tarasenko ret- returning. He's on that second year 
unit. The Golden Knights have struggled on the penalty kill this season, 27th in the league. Uh, certainly something that the Blues could take advantage of tonight. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. You'll hear that game right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game begins at 4.30. Puck drops at 5.30. We'll talk to Joey Vitale, who will be on that call. He's going to join us coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But coming up next... Time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Jamie, I'll let you get us started today, my friend. All right, guys. It didn't take all that long, but NBA players are griping about the bubble. Do you guys know what they're griping about? Certainly not the food. Not enough women. No booty is taking a toll on the guys. Wait, what? All that. Gilbert Arenas says flat out, and I quote, Well, Gil, Gil, we, we got to take Gilbert with a grain yeah. of salt. <laughs> These young guys getting no booty is taking a toll. And he said that 85% of the league, well, of course, they're grown, man, and they're single, and they're locked up at Disney World. He also went on to talk about how uh, he called out Lou Williams saying, listen, man, nobody goes to a strip club for wings. You go for strippers. And that he also said that if he goes for wings, he goes to Wingstop. When he goes to see stripper or strip club, he wants to see the strippers. So Gilbert Arenas has a lot to say on this. He also suggests that the longer guys are kept celibate in the bubble, the tougher it's going to be to keep the bubble intact. So gentlemen, Stephen A. Smith brought it up a long time ago. I have touched on it a few times here on our show. Will, who I'll call it the booty call, take its toll on the bubble for the NBA? Believe it. It, it, They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. This is Gilbert Arenas. Do you know who Gilbert Arenas is, Jamie? I do know who Gilbert Arenas is. Do you know his history? I do know his history, yes. Do you know about the gun incident in the locker room? Allegedly. 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 I know. Gilbert, I'm trying for you, buddy. Gilbert has discussed the gun incident. Correct. Correct. Yes. So, yes, I'm well aware of, uh, of his history. Gilbert Arenas had a situation where he was on a plane with two of his teammates. They were playing a game called Bure. Am I pronouncing that correctly? No. What is it called? I have no idea. I'm just messing with you. Okay. It's a cross between poker and spades. <laughs> they get back to the arena. The three of them are still arguing. Gilbert's arena? <laughs> no. I know. No, I know. I'll see myself to no, the door. No, that was actually pretty good. No. I gotta give I'll it. give him that one. That one was pretty well played. It was quick. I was it ready was to right take a lap on that one. I respect yeah. it. They get back to the arena. They're in the locker room. The three of them are still arguing. Eventually, it gets to the point where Gilbert Arena says, I'm going to shoot you then. Yeah. And Gilbert Arenas had a gun a in his locker. Who doesn't? It's a natural reaction. Not great, boys. Not great. I, it's a power move. I don't know that Gilbert Arenas is <laughs> the guy that move. I would be <laughs> listening to on okay, these sorts so of stories. Based upon your exact scouting report of this guy, don't you think he'd be the first guy to tell the truth? Even though that's not what people want to hear. He sa- he's yeah. saying flat out, guys are losing their mind in here. Too many guys around guys. Look, you had one guy already go for wings. chicken wings. wings. And he was, what, two days into the bubble? I mean, yeah. have you guys seen the menu? 
At, Magic uh, what was City? It called? Magic City, yeah. It looked pretty darn uh, good. They put out some pictures of some of their food. The problem is, it though, there's... Legit. But there's you're, stop- a, um, you're stopping for some booty, too. But the problem is there's been an, uh, an entertainer that has come out and said that, oh, yeah, Lou Williams was in that day. I did a couple of dances for yeah. him. She also, let's clarify, also said great tipper. Yes, I was just about to say Specifically that. Specifically mentioned that. I was just about to say, she mentioned that he's a great tipper. So kind of snitching him out, but at the same time, kind of having his back that he's a good tipper, although still concerning that he didn't actually just go for the wings. Yeah. Booty controls all. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So the NBA could be uh, in trouble based on the player's uh, need for chicken wings. From wings to sausage, sausage vending machines are booming, boys. Get the hell out of here. Out what? in Germany, they have a new trend that is taking place right now. Instead Paying for of, sausage? Uh, yes. You can do that anywhere. Yeah. Why? So instead of going to the grocery store for their sausages, <laughs> now they are getting them in... Adult clubs. Nope. Uh, they are getting them in vending machines. That's disgusting. Oh, my God. So they are also inside of the vending machines putting milk oh and God. eggs. <laughs> and Raw chicken. Let's keep it. Let's you stay hot here, Germany. They suggest that this is not something that is going to eventually replace grocery stores, but is... In fact, in addition to grocery stores. Oh, my God. Do you know where I saw this kind of crap? Take it or leave it. You would trust the sausage, the eggs, the milk, and the butter that you're getting out of these vending machines. I'm not trusting a damn thing. Not one thing. And I saw some stuff in my life, okay? (laughs) And when I was in Russia, they had a vending machine that had caviar. And fish, like a raw fish fillet just sitting in a bag in this vending machine. It's disgusting. Yeah. That's like sushi at a gas station. I'm like, you know what? There's not enough rubles around here to make me eat that thing. So, yeah, no, I'm so far out on that. that Yeah. That's no chance. The sausage would be the one I'd trust over the others before anything. I heard you like that. That was unnecessary. What, the vending machine that was unnecessary. Speaking of snacks, got another story for you. <laughs> oh, that was worse. That was worse. That was too. even better, though. Yeah. <laughs> Give him no, the horn. He doesn't get Give the horn. Give him the damn no. horn. You know what he gets on no. this one? You are one pathetic no. loser. Oh, he on. said snacks. Cheetos flavored mac and cheese is coming to a store near you soon. Isn't it already cheese flavored? Cheetos flavored. What's the difference? I mean, there's Cheetos and there is cheese. Okay, but Cheetos are what flavor? Depends. You can get flaming hot. You could get cheesy jalapeno. You could get bold and cheesy. I but wonder you if you've got the that. crispy versus the puffs. You just I don't know. Cheetos. Yeah, well, it's Cheetos style mac and cheese. Just let me finish the story. <laughs> I was wondering how long you'd let me go there. <laughs> According to their press release, it will come in bold and cheesy, flaming hot, in cheesy jalapeno flavors. Jamie, Ferrario, are you interested in the cheesy mac and cheese? Take two. The Cheetos mac and cheese. Out. So far out. Eh, no chance. I like mac and cheese to be mac and cheese. I don't I do not need an upgrade or a um we'll call it some kind of a new twist to my mac and cheese. I'm good. Thank I am you. In on this bad boy. It's Cheetos. You don't love Cheetos ribs? I love Cheetos. I you don't mix love it macaroni with some mac and, and cheese and Cheetos. The jalapeno but he's ones about actually the flaming hot. The flaming no hot chance. sounds good. We've well, got bold and cheesy as well yeah. as an option. The jalapeno one sounds good too. Yeah. Cheesy jalapeno? My yeah. son would like that. I, he had we had mac and cheese last night actually, and uh, he put hot sauce all in his mac and cheese. So, Interesting. Yeah. I could get behind. I've never that. Heard I that. think we may have a customer. Braden? 
You're going to be happy about this. <laughs> They're also, instead of being like the shells or just the typical noodle. Are they in shape of the cheetah? It's like the swirly. Like the rotini? Macaroni. Yeah. It's How the, did you guys style. not know that? You guys are the Italians. Give me the shot. Well, well, you should have okay. had it right away. Never mind. I even worked at Olive Garden for a period of time. Did you really? I did. What'd you do there? I was a server. <laughs> I was no. a server at Olive Garden. I was a server at Joe's Crab Shack. And I was a server at Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay, Those Joe's are three Crab very Shack. different restaurants. Very Joe's different Crab restaurant. Shack, I think completely underrated. I liked it. I made good money at Joe's Crab Shack. I like their food. Now, Olive Garden, what's the most popular order there? Oh, soup, salad, and breadsticks. All you can That's eat it? for lunch. All you can eat But what salad. about entree? Uh, chicken parms. I was going to say, yeah, I would guess that or fettuccine Alfredo. The tour of imagine. Italy, yeah. though, boys, doesn't get enough oh, respect. That was a good one. I always enjoyed when people ordered that, too, because I was like, oh, this is going to be at least a nice tip. Oh, yeah. And can I? It's like a 20, 20 plus dollar meal. And can I tell you that we have a bottle of wine that couples with the tour of Italy very well? So I was 19 when I worked at uh, Olive Garden. So the worst part about working there was I couldn't pour any of the mm, samples. Yep. And everybody wanted samples. So you had to call t- in the bullpen. Yes. Anytime that I wanted somebody to pour a sample, I had to get another server that obviously was busy with everything they were doing. So I'd be like running around like a chicken with my head cut off, not being able to greet my other table because table one, two, and three all needed their samples. Why didn't you just tell the customer, hey, man, I can save you some time. Here's the bottle. Pour your shot. Uh, Yeah, we got in a lot of trouble. If we did that. Really? Yeah, I can't leave them on the tables. Yeah, because next thing no, you know, don't leave them. You watch them pour them and you take it back. Can't allow the customers pour their own alcohol. Well, see, that, that's restaurant. why I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Olive Garden. I will say. Plus, we have good spots still available. The soup legitimately made fresh every day. Not sure people would believe that, but it's actually fresh. Really? Made every morning. My favorite thing. Out of the chicken parm, I love the chicken. I love the tour of Italy. I'm but as far as if not an entree, I'm going breadsticks with the Alfredo sauce. Oh yeah. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. Make a rabbit fight a bear. You put those on the table. Those breadsticks just hit a little different. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about them, but they just hit a little bit different when you They're walk good. through that door. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. What's Joey Vitale going to be looking for tonight as he's on the call for Blues versus Gold Knights, a game that you will hear right here on 101 ESPN. Well, we'll ask the man himself. Joey Vitale joins us coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former superstar Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Can't wait to go out to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line. Been waiting all week for this very moment to talk to our guy, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale. Joe, how you doing today, man? Boys, boys, the enthusiasm. I feel the enthusiasm. I feel the exact same way. And uh, I'm a little disturbed today, though. I'm going to tell you why. If you guys got a minute. You got a minute? Oh, we got, we got at least 11 minutes. for you. Oh, see, I was going to give you more than BK. Okay. All right, so this is how it goes. I have two boys who will not lift the seat up when they, when they do their business, okay? Uh, I, I tried so so many different ways and they just won't do it. So you're blaming the boys. Continue. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, I kind of thought about a new way. So So what I've done, what I've done is I put a $20 bill in a Ziploc baggie. I zipped it up and I've taped this to the underside of the lid. Okay. 
and I dropped the lid. Does that make sense? Yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's been <laughs> two days, and they're convinced and telling me that they've been lifting the seat up, but no one found the money, so they're lying right to my face. Now, what <laughs> I happens? Know, I don't know what I'm more mad about. <laughs> so what happens, though, if your daughter claims the 20 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have completely new issues, uh, there, Jamie. Um, but yeah, you know, the only I think I think at this rate, the first person who's going to find the money is probably going to be my wife, who ends up cleaning the toilets probably once a week. So uh, if that's the case, then she deserves it. So is this a problem? Like they've been getting in trouble because there's you know the the, the business that's getting on the seat. Is that is that what's happening here at the at the Vitali household, Joey? Dude, it's like a fire hydrant of lemonade. Like, I don't understand. They get more outside the bowl than inside. And, and I listen, I was seven once, but I don't think I did that kind of damage. But, you know, it's just it's just quarantine life, I guess. I'm just, I guess I need this event a little bit. Okay, so, Joey, you bring up a good point. And let me tell you this. You know I've got the twin boys, and, you know, the, we've got the big hoss is one of them and Braden the other one. Now, our problem doesn't end up on the seat our problem is, yeah, they lift the seat, but I swear they're blindfolded when they do this. And it ends up everywhere to where I'm like, at one point, I'm like, I'm encouraging them at one point to, I'm like, guys, you know what? Just sit down. Yeah. Just sit down. Let's, at least we hit the mark. Maybe Ferrario a, said a that's the easier better. way to go about look, it. Look, it's the easiest way to do this, guys. Just sit down. And you don't have to worry about anything. Is that your go-to it's at the home? Go-to. It's my house. I do what I want. Interesting. We're learning a lot today, Joey. I want to be comfortable. Listen, I think I think if your kids, if you get them in the habit of that, though, then at one point they're going to maybe uh, get bullied, Jamie, growing up because they're going to be known as the kid that still pee, you know, pee sitting down. Have That's you seen my boys? Either. Great point, Joe. <laughs> Have you seen my boys? <laughs> There's no bullying in their future. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of bullying, Joey, uh, I'd like to see a little bit of that from the Blues tonight against the Golden Knights. Pre-game coming up at 4.30 right here on 101 ESPN. Can't wait to listen to you and our guy, Chris Kerber, coming up at 5.30 for the puck drop. Uh, Joey, what's the number one thing that, in your opinion, Blues fans should be looking for tonight as they watch the Blues take on a Golden Knights team that plays at least a similar version of hockey to what we're accustomed to with St. Louis? You know, I think, guys, I think we're going to see a good start to the game. Uh, I talked to Braden Shen on a Zoom call this morning and Craig Berube. Uh, Craig Berube said something that stood out. He said, I'd like to see the intensity ramp up, and he thinks it will because this Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights team, for whatever reason, I think it has something to do with Ryan Reed. But there has been a really healthy uh, rivalry for the last probably year, year and a half between these two teams. So he thinks it's going to be intense. And then the other person with Braden Shen, you know, he, made a, he made a good comment, kind of a subtle comment, but he's like, I don't think people realize how important starts are in these round-robin games and these playing series games. Yes, there's the exception every now and then where teams are coming back, but more than ever, he's finding, this is, this is Braden Chen thought, that it's a lot tougher to climb back into a game with the quiet building and the lack of energy. So you put those two, two things together, the intensity and Braden Chen wanting to start off good. I am expecting to see a very hot, um, amped-up start for this Blues team here tonight. They don't love where they've been the last couple of games. And they're going to add some speed into the lineup tonight with a couple extra players with Kyru McEachern. I'm expecting the Blues to start out humming along and have a really solid physical offensive zone first period. I don't know how the whole game's going to look, but I do feel that first 20 minutes the Blues are going to own. 
We are talking with blues radio analyst Joey Vitale here. And Joey, my question after you getting on these Zoom calls with the guys and whatnot, did anybody dive into how they're going to be more effective offensively? Because two games go by, you score one goal, it's a power play goal. Apart from that, they haven't generated a ton of prime scoring chances. Have they talked about how they're going to try and address that or maybe what they can do to increase some of those scoring chances? Well, I think the biggest thing that you're going to look for tonight, Jamie, and for all Blues fans out there to look for is to have more chances. This is a team made up of chances being had off of offensive zone time. Uh, the first few games, let I me mean, look at the Edmonton series, for example, and this is not how the Blues are built. They're not built like Edmonton. Edmonton's having success because they have the dry styles and the Conor McDavid uh, that are flying down and they attack on the rush. There's a lot of teams that are having success off the rush. Unfortunately for the Blues, that's not their that's not their mo. That's not what they go to. Their chances, their goals, their shots on goal, they happen from offensive zone time, sustained offensive zone time, where we have that blue brand of hockey, where it's the O'Reilly shift for 45 seconds, followed up by the Shen shift, and then here comes the fourth line, and it's a pounding two minute offensive zone structure. When they do that, that's where they get their chances from the cycle, from behind the net, and in one area, Craig Bruby did say to look for tonight, they need to improve on. When they're in that offensive zone structure, not only just the forwards, they got to get the defensemen involved. They got to go from low in the corner, high up to the point, and they got to start fishing pucks through from these defensemen. And then on top of that, these forwards have got to do a much better job at getting through that circle, through that interior kind of nut to get to the front of that goaltender. Tonight, I think it's going to be Mark Andre Fleury, the flexible, athletic goaltender. He moves very well. So the Blues have got to do a good job getting to those hard areas after they go low to high to the point. Again, it's an area that takes a lot of aggressiveness, a lot of intensity. So we're hoping to see both those things more tonight. Joey, you mentioned the rush is one thing that's been working for teams so far in this restart. We talked earlier today about some of the surprises we've seen. I mean, both of the five seeds are one loss away from getting eliminated from the postseason. The Bruins are off to an 0-2 start. They can do no better than third in the Eastern Conference at this point. We've seen the early struggles for the Blues. What have been the biggest surprises for you so far in this restart from what you've seen? I know you've been sitting down and watching plenty of this hockey thus far. You know, yeah, it's been great. It's been great to have hockey on all day long. I think the biggest surprise for me, uh, something that just jumps right out at me, is uh, how many funky bounce goals that we've seen. And this is something I asked Craig Berube about this morning because the Blues typically are a pass up on a, let's say, grade D shot and look for the grade C and B. Look for the higher quality shots. So it, it is in their structure and their systems to just don't throw everything at the net. Like you look at the San Jose Sharks. On a given night, they'll have 50 shots. Peter DeBoer, when he was there, it was just throw pucks to the net, throw pucks to the net. Craig Berube and Dave Alexander, they've gone through the, the stats and the analytics, and they, they've tried to devise a system where you get into the offensive zone and you may pass up on a grade D shot and hold on to the puck, wear down a little bit longer, and look for a better opportunity. Now, with all these funny bounces that I've seen in these playing series and these round-robin games, I asked Craig Berube this morning, I said, does that change your, your mindset at all? Do you, do you look at hockey a little bit differently as far as the offensive zone? And maybe you're going to start throwing more pucks in the net because he, he agreed. He did see a lot of goofy goals. I mean, we saw Matt Shane the other day take one right off the chest right by UC Sorrows in the net. I mean, it's just been that kind of game. So I think because of all the, the funky nature of this whole system and how it's been laid out in Edmonton with the bubbles and the quiet rinks and everyone's wearing track suits to the games, the coaches aren't even wearing suits. 
there's just like it's a twilight zone and all these funny bounces are starting to happen. So I, I think that that's probably been the biggest surprise to me. And if I'm the Blues players, if I'm on this Blues team and I'm a forward, if I'm above that goal line in the offensive zone, just throw it to the blue paint. It doesn't have to be hard. Just something to throw it into a, a trafficy area because you know if you do that, given how the, the puck has been bouncing, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some goofy goals go in tonight. All right, Joey, talking about the offense here, uh, unfortunately uh, the Blues uh, lose Robert Thomas for tonight, but it gives a young guy, Jordan Cairo, who is an offensive talent himself, it gives him a chance to get in the lineup. How can Jordan Cairo, one, solidify himself as somebody who should be in on a regular basis, and two, how does he help the Blues generate some offense? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'll start off by saying this about Jordan Cairo. Um, I believe it was Paul Maurice, Jamie, who said this about a player the other day. I want to say it was Harkins. That, that yeah, it was Jesse Harkins. Yeah, I don't know if you saw his comments or not. Pretty, pretty, pretty awesome comments from the head coach. And he basically said that, you know, with Harkins, he was a, a late-round draft pick. He didn't get a lot of chances just because he wasn't in those top two rounds. He's, he's hung out in the minors, and he's just been done nothing but just worked his bag off every single day. And finally, they, they, he made a decision. He goes, I have to put this kid in when Patrick Liney and Mark Scheifele went down. And, of course, we all saw the result. He scored a phenomenal goal for Winnipeg. But he made a comment about the young Harkins that I think really applies to all young players. And, and I'm going to look at it tonight like Jordan Cairo. He said something along the lines, young players vastly underestimate the value of an opportunity. And, and I, I find that to be very true. I think it's changed a lot since I played. It's changed definitely a lot probably since you played, Jamie. But, but kids these days, they get call-ups, they get opportunities, like we're going to see Jordan Cairo get one here tonight. And they kind of just, for better or worse, sometimes just let them just go by, thinking there's going to be another opportunity down the road sometime. Or if, I, if I'm on tonight, great. And if I'm off, I'm off a little bit tonight, well, it's okay. It, there'll be another day, right? But his comment, Paul Maurice's comment, is, is so true. And I think it's important for Jordan Cairo to understand that. And I hope he understands that here tonight. He has an opportunity to come into a lineup with a team that needs speed, that needs intensity, that needs aggressiveness. And for better or worse, they need a spark. They need a spark. And they're going to be looking to 33 as can you provide that? Craig Berube is going to keep a very close eye. You know, can you bypass Mackenzie McEachern? Give me a reason. If I'm Craig Berube, give me a reason, young Jordan Cairo, why when we need a fourth liner, when Ivan Barbashev isn't ready for round one, give me a reason why I have to play you over Mackenzie McEachern. It sounds crazy because they're teammates, but there's a lot of inter-team competition. And that's what Jordan Cairo needs to do here tonight. He needs to play to his strengths. He needs to, he needs to use the speed. He needs to go wide, but he needs to be a predictable winger that's going to play aggressive, get to the dirty areas, throw the body around, and change the momentum of a game. And that's important for young guys to do. When I was playing Jamie in, in BK, we called it the Clutterbuck effect. We all know <laughs> Cal Clutterbuck in, in New York Highlanders. If you don't know who he is, please watch him. A great series, a fourth liner. He's got this goofy goatee. But Clutterbuck is a player, and Shane Doan said this after we lost to him in the old Coliseum. We, we lost bad. And he, he yelled at all our young guys. I'll never forget it. We were all taking our equipment off for Arizona. And he goes, boys, young guys, look at Cal Clutterbuck. What did he do in tonight's game? And we were all like, I, I don't know. I don't remember him scoring a goal. He goes, he did nothing. He, his points, nothing. Assists, goals, nothing. He didn't block a shot. But what did you notice? You noticed him. You noticed 
him. He gets people's attention, whether he's spearing somebody, he's throwing a water bottle over the bench, he's yelling at your top player, he'll run the goalie a little bit, he's chirping your coach. He does something that gets noticed that changes the momentum of a game. And that's what young guys have to grab onto like lightning. And I think that that's something that Jordan Cairo and certainly Mackenzie McEachern are very capable of doing it. Will they take advantage of the opportunity? Well, we will see in about four or five hours. We will see and we will hear. We will hear Joey Vitale on the call. Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Blues versus Golden Knights. Pre-game at 430. Puck drop with Joey Vitale and Chris Kerber at 530. Joey, every week we enjoy the hell out of these conversations. We look forward to doing it again next week. Enjoy the call, man. BK, thanks, buddy. I'm going to check if I still got my 20 bucks down here. See ya. <laughs> you got it. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting what he mentioned specifically about the shots on net, Jamie, because I'm looking at the top five right now, and these teams have had kind of mixed results in terms of the overall team success, but they're all doing pretty well when it comes to the goals that they are getting out of those opportunities. It's Colorado, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Carolina, and Toronto. Those are the top five teams and shots for per game thus far. We all know what Carolina has done thus far in terms of their offense that they've been able to have. It's an interesting theory as to whether or not maybe because these goaltenders haven't seen the same number of live shots that they would typically at this point in a season. Maybe you should start throwing more at the net than you typically would. But I don't want the Blues to get away from the game that they've had, and that is their identity. So it's kind of a hard balance there of figuring out where you can meet in the middle a little bit. So here's where the danger lies in that is, yes, those teams right now currently in a weird kind of restart are having some success. And is some of that due to the fact that goalies, not only have they not seen a ton of live shots, but they haven't been tracking pucks through traffic or deflections or weird angles, whatever it is, but they're going to find their groove. These goalies are going to find their groove specifically as you get deeper into the playoffs. You're not going to get those cheap ones on a regular basis. And the theory of funneling pucks to the net just because, you know what, every now and then it's like hitting the lottery, right? You hit the lottery where a couple of pucks that you throw to the net create some offense, but a lot of the analytics, and I dive into this all the time, show that it creates a lot of turnovers too. So if you throw a puck from a bad angle against a good goalie, he's blocking that puck, directing it to a defenseman, and then they're off to the races while you're in transition, kind of caught going the wrong way. Because you don't have that net presence. You don't have that player that's able to retrieve that loose puck. And the goalie sometimes doesn't really have to move. If he's square to the puck, if he's set, and you're just throwing pucks from every angle, there's no holes. You're just hoping. You're really hoping that it finds something or hits something. The way the Blues play, which is very subtle sometimes, even moving the puck 6 to 10 inches sideways, forces a goalie to move just a little bit. Now they've created grade-A opportunity, not because of where they are on the ice, but for the simple fact that the goalie now has holes because he's got to move from left to right. Now you have an opportunity, and when that puck gets shot, you either find a home for it or it can explode off the goalie, and there's your secondary chance and your third chances. It's one nineteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll be watching the Blues tonight. We'll be watching the Cardinals tomorrow. One player won't be out there with them And the Cardinals' actions are going to speak louder than their words when it comes to that player. I'll explain that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
he's a talent. You could, you know, this guy could, could play in the field, could, could DH. I mean, we've got the club we've got. You know, if he gets the opportunity, I would imagine we would expect him to, to be able to, you know, get opportunity to play pretty consistently. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Mike Schilt last night talking about what the role could be for Dylan Carlson if and when he is up. John Mosaylock also talked to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch yesterday about why the Cardinals decided not to bring up Dylan Carlson. He said, quote, we've played five games, roster shrink all of the uh, all along. We've wanted to get these guys some games. Unfortunately, we just missed seven of them, giving the guys some at bats, giving them a chance to play is exactly what we've talked about all offseason. Now, Lane Thomas should get some more at bats. Bader, obviously off to a slow start, still wants to give him a chance. You can't make a judgment after just five games. And we're very pleased with what we've seen out of O'Neill. So to try to put someone on a team when you're not sure they're going to get a true opportunity, it just doesn't make sense yet. End quote. Again, that came from John Mosaylock yesterday talking to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I understand that explanation. Here's where I will be interested to see where it goes next, because the actions matter more to me than the words. If the actions as Mosaylock is saying, is Tyler O'Neill's in left field, Lane Thomas slash Harrison Bader in center, and you've got some combination of guys that are young guys that are getting an opportunity at DH. If that ends up being the actions, I, okay, I, I can listen to it. I can disagree with it all I want to, but I understand what the rationale is there. If the actions end up being, though, Matt Carpenter ends up as your third baseman and Miller at DH or the vice versa. That's something that I've got a real problem with, because then it shows me there was an opportunity here. No, it wasn't in the outfield, but it was as a designated hitter. Or there was an opportunity for Lane Thomas as your DH or Tyler O'Neill as your DH with Dylan Carlson getting the opportunities in the outfield. It's just difficult for me with the DH being implemented this season to see how they're going to use those actions to back up their words. But that's what I'm going to wait for. I've got to wait until at least tomorrow night to be able to see what they decide to do there. But if it's Brad Miller that is blocking Dylan Carlson, that's where the frustration is going to come in for me. Not them figuring out what they've got in the outfield. I understand that explanation. Yeah. um, And I would, you know, I, I would agree with frustration on that as well. I look at it here and I've been thinking about things since our last Cardinal segment. And do you see a situation where when Weeders is in as the catcher, you've got Kisner as your DH? Maybe. And that's something I would be here for. Like, I can maybe that's to, what they're going to do. I could I could be here for that. Um, if that if that's what they decide to do is say, hey. Kisner, we've got some questions about him defensively behind the plate. We want to see how his bat plays, and that's what we do want to see what he can bring to our major league club. That's how we're going to develop him a little bit this year, just to at least keep the bat where it was. Okay, I, I could get behind that. The, my problem is with these these stopgap players getting in front of progress from your young guys. I don't want to see Miller. I don't want to see these veterans that are on one or two year deals getting into a situation where they're the ones that are getting the opportunities as opposed to Kisner or Carlson or Lane Thomas or Bader or whoever your guy is that you want to see getting every day at bats. I don't want to see that being in, in their in their way right now. Yeah, and I could agree with that. I totally agree with that. I think that if you're going down that road right now, this is a perfect opportunity to get Kisner some at-bats. Lane Thomas be the DH if Harrison Bader's your starting center fielder. Like, 
if you're going to explore certain things, then really dive into it. And I agree. I think it is frustrating for the fan base at times to where they put these stop gaps in there. The veteran player that is just reliable to get us through the moment, right? What moment is this right now? This is the, the earth turned upside down and all around with this COVID-19 and everything that's happening. Now, what better time to just say, screw the norm, what we usually do. Let's dive into some of these young players and see what they've got. I think it will be a missed opportunity for the St. Louis Cardinals if they don't explore certain guys, at least if nothing else, at least at the DH spot. Uh, let me preface this by saying this is not my opinion here, but uh, from the Cardinals' perspective, you got a guy in Dylan Carlson who's had, what, 20, maybe 25 games at the AAA level? Look, he's dominated the AA level. But Nate Lucas, who was a broadcaster for the Springfield Cardinals, told us the other day Carlson was crushing AA pitching. But AAA pitching is more like major league level, where you're seeing the junk balls, you're seeing the off speed pitches, and he's just not at the level of seeing enough of those, I guess, from the Cardinals' perspective of saying, okay, this guy's ready to be a major league hitter. And from what we've talked about all so much about Carlson, Rives, is you don't want to stunt his growth. And so then is he... I can listen to that argument. He shouldn't be up this year. If if that is the argument, that he's not prepared for major league, hit or major league pitching right now, it's not going to change down in Springfield over the next month. He He's sitting down there but in a satellite camp. Well, to your point, ultimately, that might be what the Cardinals do. It, you won't see him this year at all. I said 30 games, but it, they might it, just say, yeah, next year. It's not beneficial to him to put him at DH if they don't feel like he's ready. If he's going to get the shot, I'm going to be the everyday outfielder because we have no other yeah, options. What is the pitching like down there? I know we talked to Nate, and he said that, you know they're having pretty competitive sessions, in that, but it's not. It's not major league. It's, 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 it's not, not Clayton same. Kershaw. It's, no, it's, it's not like, you know what I'm saying? It's Walker Bueller's in their first couple of years in, in pro ball. It's Jack Flaherty's. I mean, you're getting some top-level prospects, but you're also getting guys like an Austin Gomber or Ponce de Leon who can be on the major league roster, but more times than not, they're going to be in the rotation or a bullpen of a pitching staff in AAA. You really Are get you a talking mix- about down in the satellite camp right now? Because that's the pitching that he's oh, seeing. No, he's I thought only you meant- seeing the Cardinals pitchers, that's and that's the other thing that's exactly not advantageous. My point. Oh, I thought you meant seeing the in same AAA. pitchers every day. No, I I'm talking about currently right now oh, like yeah. for his development like it, it, my brain my gm brain goes to the fact that yeah maybe he's not ready for an everyday role in the outfield although we hear he is we hear he's great defensively so whatever i can listen to the argument of we're not going to do that to him but why the hell would you not get him some at bats if even if he's unsuccessful yeah. At, you know, as we get deeper, even if he's unsuccessful, I at agree. least he sees major league pitching. He sees how the catcher manipulates the pitch count, the pitcher choosing different pitches, where they're locating it. He gets now he's like, oh, OK, I get it. Now I got to work on this. Yeah, I you know? agree. I, I, for, for at least from what I understood what Nate was talking with is it seems like right now it's an extended spring training for these guys. You're working with an Jose Okendo. You're working with some of the other Cardinals coaching staffs that, of course, aren't at the major league level, but are at the spring training facility he's working with these players yeah he's working with guys that you're going to see in double a and triple a and you know you get an occasional alex reyes or Henesis cabrera or giovanni gallegos until they get up but i agree 100 percent. if you're going to give this guy the shot let him do it now but from the cardinals perspective i just i wonder if they look at this and say you know what he's not ready let's wait till next year so we can see some memphis pitching if we have memphis pitching and if that ends up being the case so be it and i'll just be wrong as to how prepared he is for the major league uh, for the major leagues right now from every everybody that we've heard all 
spring and then into the summer, they all suggested to us that he was ready. He certainly looked ready in spring training when he was dominating opposing pitchers. Same thing whenever they came back, and then same thing whenever he was down in the satellite camp just a little while ago, and he hit homers, I believe, off of Reyes and Cabrera, mm-hmm. guys that are going to be in the Cardinals' major league bullpen yeah, here pretty point. soon. So it, it doesn't seem like those guys have given him many issues, but maybe I'll be wrong on that, and that's perfectly fine, but that can't be the explanation for now if that changes in two weeks. If the explanation is, well, it's the service time manipulation. We got a text on this from the 314. The Cardinals aren't going to waste a year of Carlson's control because they don't have a chance at the playoffs this year. It would be a wasted year. He's not enough for them. Well, they've already gained the extra year of control on him already. Now it's just how they get control. Yeah. Right? Now it's about is that extra year going to be arbitration versus the team control on that on that minimum salary so now we're talking about money as opposed to years so if that's what they're doing again it's a business i get that but that's going to be a little frustrating to watch as well it all comes down to me to this their explanation publicly has been we want to see what the young guys can do if that's what they go with, if they go with Andrew Kisner or Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas, Harrison Bader, any of those young guys that they got to get some answers on. OK, at least they were honest and open about what their process is. If the answer at DH or third base is Miller, that doesn't go along with what their message has been publicly. That doesn't go along with what they've been telling us is holding back Dylan Carlson. And that's where I think there need to be more questions that need to be answered. And we'll have that on Monday for you. We'll be able to have some of those answers for you by Monday. We don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. You guys want to play a game of buy or sell? Absolutely. No, yes. Let's play a game of buy or sell coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of buy or sell. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in buy or sell. Jamie, let's start with this one. Buy or sell, the worst of the week award should go to John Gruden after what he pulled yesterday. Did you see this? Yeah. John Gruden attempted to, quote, crush COVID-19 with a prank on his team. He had one of his assistants go up in front of all the players, say, hey, Gruden's not going to be here today. He's tested positive. It was their way of somehow in a roundabout way showing the players that, hey, this virus can get anybody, even a, even your head coach can get it. I don't I have never been in those locker rooms, Jamie, when stuff like this happens, these gimmicks. I can't imagine that players were overly impressed with the idea that their coach faked that he had COVID-19. Buy or sell, though. John Gruden is your worst of the week. I'm selling that. Yeah, look at you I, like this. Here's where he missed the mark. Okay, clearly missed the mark. But here's what John Gruden was trying to do, and you know this. And as a parent, you do some wacky stuff sometimes to get a point through to your kids. And I think what Gruden was attempting to do, again, missed the mark, was show his players just how quickly something can happen if you're not following the rules. He was at practice the day before. He had all sorts of interactions with the players. All of a sudden you go, oh my God, coach has COVID. We all could have it now. 
And I think he was trying to show them or maybe scare them a little bit into thinking. Scared straight situation. Exactly, yeah. right? So now, did he miss the mark with maybe some of the delivery? I don't know how exactly it went down, but I do think it was a teaching moment from John Gruden, who's a bit of a wacky dude to start with, right? So I'm willing to give him some leeway on this, knowing that at the end of the day, he was trying to do good by his team. And I think the players after a while be like, you know what? Uh, coach, you tried. It really wasn't a great thing, but we get you, man. We feel you, bro. Yeah, you know, I'll, I think they got him. I'll sell it too. I think it's uh, I think oh, okay. it's a smart move to yeah, at right. least instill some fear in these guys. So, yeah, maybe not the smartest of moves, but it's something to make them at least perk their ears up moving forward. He took forward. a swing, right, Alex? Yeah. And you know what? What happens when you swing? Sometimes you miss. Sometimes you miss. But yeah, I think this the point was, was across. Bader. Big wow. old Harrison Bader slider level yeah. swing, and it missed horribly. Oh, Take the BK. sometimes out. You're being too hard on John Gruden. I, I, I got no issue being hard on John Gruden, but this is Wait, what? What? <laughs> buy or sell bounce back <laughs> candidates in the NFL. We're moving right along after well, that one. Now we know where your intentions are. <laughs> buy or sell <laughs> Raiders. Jamie Rivers boy. Julian Edelman is going to have a bounce back here this season with the Patriots with Cam Newton as his quarterback. Buying or selling, Jamie? I'm selling, man. I'm selling. I don't see it. I just don't see it. They got more people that have opted out than anybody else, I believe, at least more relevant people. And I know that not every position affects Julian Edelman, but I just think that I just don't think this is the year for the Patriots. I think Edelman will be extremely frustrated three or four games into the season. And Cam Newton will feel the stress of this because he was supposed to be the the next guy in line after Tom Brady. Bring Keep this team where they always are. Now they're dealing with COVID. They're dealing with opt-outs. I just don't see. I'm selling on Julian Edelman having a big year. I'll sell too because uh, you can't have a bounce back year if your quarterback doesn't give you the ball if he's on his rear end the entire game. And I think that's what's going to be happening for Cam Newton. Plus, doesn't it seem like Cam Newton's having a, uh, a selfish season for himself? Like, uh, everyone's doubted me. I'm going to go out here and prove I'm an MVP. I'm wondering if those rush yards are going to be a lot higher than those pass yards oh. this season. Maybe it's tinfoil for Ario. Who knows? Yeah, yeah I don't think he's going to have more rushing yards than passing yards, oh, but I'm going to sell this as well. I think Julian Edelman's a little over the hill. I think we're going to start seeing the decline this season, and I think we're going to start seeing know. that he was a little bit of a creation of Tom Brady. Wait, did you just give credit to Tom Brady? I did. Dang. I mean, he's going to be a crazy Next thing day. you know, he's going to say uh, LeBron's not the best. For wow. the time being, he's the placeholder for the, for the GOAT. Now right. that he'll that title will be removed from him very soon. There's another young buck that's going to take that over well, here in the not too distant future. Attempting to his tight ends focus on football relationship issues right now. So yeah, he'll be fine. He's going to end up playing baseball. Buy or sell future Pro Football Hall of Fame edition. I know that I get Frank in trouble Gore. with all of these because of the Frank Gore situation. Buy or sell Philip Rivers is a future Hall of Famer. Jamie Rivers. ESPN uh. wrote about this the other day, and they said 50-50 Philip Rivers. So buy or sell Philip Rivers getting in. And see, this is hard, right? My first instinct is sell because I just don't, you know, he, he doesn't, to me, he doesn't have the ultimate team success that you would put a Hall of Famer in, but it's still to be determined. Like he's still playing. 
right? So what if he does something crazy with the Indianapolis Colts? What if he goes like, what if he just goes off this season and you're like, okay, wow, maybe he is a Hall of Famer. So for me, it's to be determined. But if the season ended tomorrow or his career ended tomorrow, I would say he's not a Hall of Famer. I would look at other guys who've been able to carry their team to that championship trophy. Yeah, I mean, to me, what has he done? I mean, other than... Well, he's had a pretty darn good individual career. But is it a Hall of Fame career? That's the question. I mean, really, you're looking at his numbers of, you know, consecutive games started more than anything for Philip Rivers. And you know, when you look at other and people, number of children, yeah, well, that's, that's that he's in the Hall of Fame. The there. most impressive number yeah. that he has. He's in the reproduction Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. They have one of those. I'm Jamie's into about it. to find out. I'm actually, I'm, I was on pace there for a while. Honorary member. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah, four. You were almost there. Yeah, no Hall of Famer. Just a little maybe yeah. mention. Yeah, I think he should get in. I know that it's about team success for quarterbacks as much as it is individual accomplishments, but I don't know how anybody could watch Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers over their course of their entire careers and come to the conclusion of, oh, Eli Manning was the better of the two. I think two we, Super Bowls, yeah. with teams that probably shouldn't have won. And you beat the Patriots. I understand. that That is always the trump card, right? Hey, but he won the Super Bowl. No, those defenses, that team won the Super Bowl. It was not just Eli Manning. In fact, if you look at his numbers in the postseason, they're not good. He was not a particularly good playoff quarterback. His teams just happened to be really good. Meanwhile, Phillip Rivers played for the Ma and Pa shop that was the San Diego Chargers that are now the Los Angeles Chargers of Carson that maybe have a stadium next year. Yes. Like that, that has to be taken into account. And I think he, his career was Hall of Fame worthy, even though his team wasn't. Let me ask you this. And I don't know, you're not prepared for this, but you might know it off the top of your head. Where does Philip Rivers rank with the likes of guys like Dan Marino? And, you know, well, some he's of not those, there. But no, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like guys who didn't win a championship. Dan Marino's the first one who comes to mind, but I know there's probably other guys. But the, the, the great quarterbacks that are currently in the Hall of Fame that, maybe didn't win a Super Bowl, where does Philip Rivers rank with that group? I think he's probably pretty high up there. Um, is, he that, better, is he better than Donovan McNabb? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That Even I know that. The thing that's going to make a team to a Super Bowl, though. He did. Rivers never did that. Yeah, but Philip Rivers. What'd I say? Rivers. <laughs> it could get confusing on here. Uh, <laughs> that's true, actually. The thing that's going to get difficult with all of this, it's going to muddy all the waters, is the passing numbers are just so astronomical now compared to what they used to be. Like, if you look at their actual numbers in terms of career yardage, Philip Rivers is 2,000 yards behind Dan Marino for fifth all-time in passing yardage. Now, Philip Rivers is not as good of a quarterback as Dan Marino was. What Dan Marino was doing in the 80s and into the 90s was far more impressive than anything Rivers has done in his career. Philip. Philip Rivers Rivers. has done during his career. Dan Marino always had warm hands, though, thanks to Isotoner. But, I mean, if you look at it as well, Matt Ryan is 10th. Ben Roethlisberger's 8th. Eli Manning's 7th. You've got Matt Stafford at 18th on this list. All of the models guys are going to be flying up these charts just because they're passing more often. So I think all of these conversations are going to get a little muddled. I would have Rivers, 
Philip Rivers in the NFL Hall, Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I know that's kind of a 50-50 minority opinion. Let me clarify something here. The text line, 65780 from the 314. It says, so Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl, so Marino's not a Hall of Famer. That is Rivers' analysis? No, it's not my analysis. I refer to Dan Marino because he didn't win a championship. I know full well that Dan Marino is 100% a Hall of Fame quarterback, so that's my analysis. Boom goes the dynamite. That was some good analysis. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. The crossover's coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's cross things over with the fast lane. Chris Ranji in studio. Ranji, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> Nothing, man. <laughs> He's over there in... in- insulting. Jamie's over there insulting people and he shouldn't no, do I'm, that. No, I'm Jamie does every day in I, here for three yeah, hours. I just brought up a valid point. You know that was it, a good pick. Uh, he's hideous. He's sexy. He's over there. Okay, so he's insulting Wait, George Mirasan. It's a, Okay, <laughs> who is not a good looking dude, but still you don't have to, you don't have to crap all over the guy. We had um, <laughs> we bat, we actually way back in my New York Islander days, we were at I think it was LaGuardia and George Murazan was there. The team what was it the seventy sixers he played for? Was it? I don't know. I don't Anyways, remember. George was there and George yeah, he's a looker. All right. And <laughs> well. so we had a player well actually we had Zdeno Chara on the team. And Zidano's a looker too. Yeah. Not not quite as good looking as George is. However, we had uh, we asked very politely for Zidano to go over and stand next to George and we wanted to basically see them have a walk off, you know, like who was better looking. And George was wasn't into it. What was no. his name? George what? George Mirasan? Mirasan. He was like seven feet tall. He, he uh, was a huge man. He gave us a Bullets, look. He played for the Bullets and... I thought he played for the 76ers for a nah, I think he... Well, it must have been like the Nets my or something. World, it must have been the Nets if he was in... In my world, he played for the 76ers. <laughs> okay. okay. Like, well, yeah, what the hell do you know, right? <laughs> Good point. You're drinking a lot. So wrong, I don't know Jim. what's going on. got blurry. I think it's that, who is that? George Mirasan? That dude is uh, is heinous, but still... Is there a point where you are just so ugly you're actually attractive? Well, it happens to dogs all the time. Dogs are so awful looking that I they're cute. I think it depends what your salary looks like as well. If you're funny, too. Situations. Yeah, I think funny. if you're funny. Now, George missed the boat on that. He wasn't very funny. He wasn't a very good talker. He was, yeah. So he's basically Jamie Rivers. Oh, please. Oh, please. That, was, that was a little mean. That was that was mean-hearted. That 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 came off Rivers, poorly. Rivers, you want me to give it to him? Let me, let me get a take two there. That no. that was unnecessary. Rivers, I apologize. You are one pathetic loser. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm a funny guy. It makes up for it. It turns a two into a ten. That's why I, I try to make people laugh. <laughs> I love you, buddy. I love both of you. And the more you, you drink, the better I look. <laughs> and I'm amazing when the lights are off. What do you mean you're done drinking? Oh, you sick to your stomach. Here's another one. <laughs> Call me in an hour. Yeah. Speaking of drinking, uh, every night that I watch Luis Robert, I, uh, <laughs> I drink a little more. <laughs> I was just, I was just telling somebody on Twitter, like this is okay. Luis Robert is the only time in my life 
that I've ever been like, you have got to sign that international player. <laughs> yeah. You have to have him. It's Go like in get the NBA, him. Luka Doncic like a few was, years ago was this like top prospect for the NBA draft, right? And everybody was like, he is the guy. You yeah. cannot miss him. And mo- most of the time, people are like, who's that dude? Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, he was selected fourth overall, the international guy. They were all in on Luka. That's how it felt with Luis Robert. It was like, no, that dude, can't. Yeah. everybody says you cannot miss on him. Get that dude. And the Cardinals were like, no, 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 no. We don't want to spend that money on him. So let me ask you guys this, because you know what? I'm just getting into this baseball thing here. Well, not so much the Cardinal stuff, but baseball overall. Luis Robert, give me the quick backstory, because I know the joke, but I don't really get how funny it really is. Is So Luis Robert was an international free agent in a year when all of the big spenders were not allowed to spend. And it was basically the Cardinals and the White Sox. And they were alone in the market, yep. more or less. And they could spend essentially as much as they wanted to. And they could go into the penalty and the next year it would hurt them. But they were already in the penalty. So they could literally spend whatever they wanted to in this international market. Okay. Well, they were going back and forth, and the Cardinals and the White Sox, everybody was talking, the White Sox make their pitch, the Cardinals apparently made their pitch, and then it came down to the money for Luis Robert, and the White Sox were willing to spend, what was it, like $40 million? 50, it was between 52 and 56 somewhere in that Okay, range. so it's not, yeah. it, it comes it's, with a serious price tag. I mean, it's money, but yeah, it's a I mean, signing come bonus, on. essentially. I mean, 50 million, it's, it's more than money, Ron. Yeah, it's like two-thirds of Dex's contract, okay. but anyway. So it's a big contract, but now you have him under contract for the next six, seven years on your typical rookie deal. So he is a veteran, a minimum salary guy for the first three years of his career. You just gave him what essentially becomes a signing bonus. Okay. And the Cardinals decided, nope, not willing to go to that level. Ah, mm-hmm. now I get it. Not willing yeah. to go there for a player that we haven't seen. Meanwhile, Luis Robert right now is taking the league by storm. <laughs> there was a piece that was just put out on fan graphs comparing him to like every other player and the way he plays. And they were like, yeah, this dude is just different. He swings at everything. He hits everything. It's unbelievable what we're seeing from Luis Robert right so now. So if I'm not mistaken, this could be wrong, but I think it's correct. Over a period between now, well, 2017 and 2026 they will have paid him about 75 million dollars the white Sox? Yeah. yeah that's a lot of money but not for that man that's 10 no. years man that's like yeah i guess you're right I mean, yeah if it's yeah if you're looking at that yeah, yeah. like yeah. 9 10 years you know you paid him for uh 17 and 18 when he wasn't up here yet he but, maxes but out man. at 88 million dollars through 2028 I mean, maxes on, out if That's they a, if they pick up everything that he is going to earn over the course of that entire contract through his age 29 season, he would hit the market at age 30. Right. He's 22 years old. Right. And now. quite frankly, what position is he? outfield outfield. You know where he'd be playing right now or, or should have been playing right now where Harrison Bader yep. is center field. Yeah, he's wow. he's legitimately good. He's fast as hell. I didn't realize he was as fast Bader's as he fast. was either. I am not. Bader's fast. He is too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There was a like a three hopper to short yesterday. He beat out. It's incredible. Did you, you saw it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, come on, man. Come on. He would immediately like. You know how excited That's I am like about Bo Dylan Jackson Carlson. Stuff. It, it really yeah, is. It's, it's stupid. They've they've compared him to the way he plays is similar to Javi Baez. Like he's an outfielder, so it's different, of course. But right. his playing style, the excitement, the exuberance that he brings to the field every day is like watching Javi Baez. Imagine if the Cardinals had that guy that they could oh. put in center field. People with- are so excited about him. 
have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.